Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 100th episode of the Just and the Suffering Podcast. You guys heard our brand new introduction, done some work behind the scenes on that one. Wanted to change it up for a milestone occasion. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got to say, it's been interesting getting here. When I started this podcast about a year and a half ago, I did not know if I actually get beyond like 10, 20, but here we are. We're at 100. Use this the point of the show where I, you know, tell you what's coming up who's going to be the guests, what we're doing, all that stuff. But we're going to do things a little bit differently today. We're going to kind of go for the ride here. There are four segments coming up. There are four guests coming on the show today. We will get to our opening tip. We'll have a big uh, main guest, somebody who is well-known in the sports world. We will do the highlights of 100. We will go back, look at some clips of some of the most memorable moments of this podcast. And we got something special for the end of the show as well. Settle back in, enjoy the ride. Let's get to our opening tip right after this call, courtesy of CBS Sports's Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Take the belt, go deep. Anderson's out there. This is going to go the distance. 92 yards. Darnold to Anderson. Incredible. All right. Uh, Mike Phillips has surrendered the rights to the Just End the Suffering podcast to me, Will Schneiderhan, and I will be your host now. Well, not for long, not forever, but for right now. Uh, so I'll introduce Mike to his own show. How are you doing, Mike? This feels weird being the guest. I don't know why I came up with this idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, feels weird hosting it, uh, that's for sure. Um, but shout out to Mark Malusis because I took a class on this, so I should feel a little bit uh, more comfortable doing so. But uh, yeah, so here I am, Will Shinerhan, hosting this segment. Going to talk a little NFL football, a little CBA, a lot of stuff circulating. Maybe jump into uh, some New York Jets. Uh, so yeah, why don't we jump right into it with the NFL CBA. Um, right off the bat, longer season, more playoffs. That should psych anybody up, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sold. I'm really not. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny because, like, the M- MLB just did, we talked about it last uh, episode or last segment. Like, I mean, the last time the last time you were here, we talked about this. Yes. We also we had, the last time we had the, what the hell's going on out here? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, we, uh. You know, it I, wouldn't be 100 episodes if we didn't get that in there. <laughs> I was not, a, I, I, I was not for the MLB playoffs. This one, I feel like, is different, though, because. There's like a monetary value to it where I get why they want to do it because I was reading how, you know, this would this would um, a lot or like open up like billions of dollars to the players, I think. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that that's if I'm a player, I'm kind of on the fence because the owners are like really pushing it. What is going on? Do I really want to push my body that far? But it's also like, okay, I could also make a ton of money. Yeah, the money is nice for me. I think they don't want to do it. But I just don't think they have the willpower to, you know, hold, basically cancel a season and say, you know what, like, 
we are not going to play until the six, the seventeenth game is off the table. They will never do it. Yeah, that would. I mean, can you imagine? Like that would be terrible for the NFL. It would yeah. be awful to even have like. Like half a season, you know. We've seen the NBA and NHL do that. They haven't canceled a season in thirty-three years. Yeah, there's no way. I and, and especially with like how they've towed the line with everything, like all the you know political statements they've had, where like fans have voiced their displeasure. I honestly think like a work stoppage would be terrible for them. <laughs> I mean, remember? Do you, do you remember what happened the last time we almost had the work stoppage? Like in twenty eleven, yeah. I want to say, like where like the fandom was all like panicking. They canceled I think, the Hall of Fame game. And yeah. Then, like, about to cancel the preseason, then they had that miracle last minute, like, oh, we got a deal done. And, like, they did the entire offseason about three days. Yeah, no, I think the owners know that. Like, yeah. I think they're – that's why you – because, know, like, everybody's like, why are – wow, this is coming out of nowhere. This is, seems so fast. Because the owners are literally like, the ball's in your court. And I – like you said, like, we know you're not going to say no to that. Like, I just – as far as like the extra game goes like i completely understand where like a player would be like that sucks that's yeah. like a whole other week that's a whole other game <clears throat> and it's just a regular season game nonetheless too like that's a lot for a player even just the one game yeah think about this also i mean like if you're a player like i mean unless you're like tom brady where you're getting like endorsement money like that's your income it's not like the owners who like the like the johnson brothers who like if the Jets aren't playing, okay, we'll sell our toiletries and make our billions of dollars, or like we'll sell real estate. Like the players don't have that option. You know, they only benefit from like the the NF, like the football money. Yeah. Like the like you're saying, the owners are going to make that anyway. Yeah. And they'll make more, and then then they won't care. But that's where like I don't, and I also think I read something where like, wasn't it like proposed like the 17th game, like players wouldn't get their normal game check. So like a Russell Wilson would be paying playing for two hundred fifty thousand dollars compared to the whatever. The, Three million per game or whatever. I mean, to me, that's that's like psychotic. <laughs> well, I mean, there is pressing because they don't pay play for like big money in the postseason. Yeah. They pay play for like True. basically game check equivalent, and they're playing for the glory and they get the playoffs here at the end. But like, I think it's also very stupid. You're right. It's like if you are making like say like like two million dollars a game. Yeah, you have to drop a two fifty for seventeen for collectively bargain. That doesn't make sense. Especially, to me. God forbid, you get hurt in that game. Like yeah. you know, we see even Earl Thomas when when he was there, left the field, didn't know he was going to come back. Richard mm-hmm. Sherman, we've seen a hundred times with guys. Like imagine that, and you did it for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, did you hear the interview uh, Mike Florio did on uh, Joe and Evan Show the other day with no. Joe with uh, Beningo and JJ? Where it was in for uh, him? No, it is. He said not. the good thing he doesn't. He thinks it basically like you know like. 17 is basically like just like a stopping point. We're going to get, that means we're getting 18 games yeah. and we're going to get eight playoffs eventually instead of seven per conference. Like it's, it's just a matter of time. No, and, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, undoubtedly. Yeah. That's what this is. This is like, okay, let's, it's kind of like when you're like, we're, we're, yeah, we're, you're on the way to, let's yeah. say, like, like, like you're, like you're going, you're going on a road trip, like you're going down to like Atlantic City, you stop in Newark, like you're not stopping there. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to keep going. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, the playoff team is interesting to me. Because I just feel like so we talk about baseball. We see, uh, oh we didn't want under five hundred teams, you know, playing in it. NHL and, and NBA, we see it all the time. Like I um I was listening to the Michael K show yesterday, I think, and they were saying how like they went back and looked at it. We're like, believe it or not, there with this new playoff format, there wouldn't be that many seven and nines and eight and eights. I think yeah. a lot of them were nine and sevens, ten and sixes, and yeah. even to our you know. Uh, the Jets go up to Buffalo in 2015. They would have been in. Would have been in. That would have yeah. been it. It wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. And so, I kind of, I'm kind of on board in that aspect. But then again, like we we're talking about the baseball, does that mean owners are going to be like, oh, eight and eight gets us in, seven and nine might get us in? 
Well, it's hard to find a football team is actively tanking hard, like the baseball definitely. teams are because, like, the Dolphins try. They still won five games. Yeah, and they got mur- the, the first two weeks. Yeah. I mean, this blasted on every every media outlet in the world for that. It's hard with football because football is full contact. It's like, it's like we got to tell these guys to go three-quarter speed to, yeah. like, make sure we're not trying as hard to win games. I mean, the, the football thing, I think the interesting thing to me is, like, the schedule, especially a wild card weekend. It's like, oh, how yeah. are you going to do that? Like, are you going to do, like – Six games over two days. You gonna do a Monday night game? I feel like that's been talked about forever. The idea of like six games in wildcard weekend as a fan, and listen, I'm not as like when it gets to the nuts and bolts of the NFL, I'm not that like set in my ways like I am in baseball, where like baseball, it's kind of like that historic value. I'm more passionate about it. Where like football, more or less what I'm trying to say is like I'm okay with football being more of like a mockery, like yeah. give me football, right? Yeah. So like six games in wildcard weekend, like that would be awesome yeah. but at the same time like you said like what how are you gonna do that like uh like you're not gonna have a game at 11 4 and 8 right yeah, like, yeah, like one, <laughs> one four and eight yeah like two two days like my guess would be i think they would put the one game on monday night and then make sure that team plays the following sunday would be my guess it's like but i think that's still stupid because i mean i know espn probably gonna make it but like, oh it's monday night playoff say, time yeah. like and they would get that game like NBC would probably be thrilled at their Sunday night slot at that another week. The fans would be thrilled because they would, as much as every fan right now is saying, you know what, like, I don't want extra football. As soon as we have, like, oh, cool, I can't oh, wait for more football. Dude, you, yeah, you are, you are joking. Dude, there's, listen, no, this is, if I ever apply to the XFL for a job, if I ever find it, this is not going to be a, or whatever, not a hit on them. Or if the XFL survives, <laughs> flows the next one that tries it. Exactly. We are watching XFL football. People are watching XFL football because it's football. Yeah. So don't tell me, oh, I will watch the New York Guardians play. I can't tell you a second team in that. The D.C. Defenders. D.C. Defenders. I'll watch that. But, my God, if the you know there's an extra two games on Walker Weekend, I won't watch it. You're lying to yourself. Yeah. You're absolutely lying to yourself. That like Football fans are so passionate and so gung-ho about their sport. That this is, there's no way that you, like, what, you're going to tune in at 1 o'clock and be like, oh, this is the team that shouldn't, you know, this is the extra team. I'm not going to, like, you're going to watch it and you're going to like it. <laughs> you, you are. I mean, like, it's, it's going to be fun to, like, to try to figure out, like, oh, like, the AFC South Invitational will be, like, the first yeah. game of locker <laughs> It's still not going to change. It'll be whoever the Houston or Indianapolis is playing. It'll be the first game. I love that. Yeah, the, yeah no, absolutely. And, like. Like it's just it's extra it's just extra opportunities, man. And I tell you, the first team that like the first eight and eight team that gets in there and runs the table to the Super Bowl, we'll all be buying into that too. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you also like what do you think about like the seventeenth game? Like what do you think about like the, the where it should be played? Yeah, I just like I honestly will be honest. I haven't even thought about that part of it. Like I've just thought solely on the pl- on this playoff yeah. format. Like I just don't. Exactly, yeah, because what does that mean? One and a team gets an extra home game, right? I, it's either that, I think, or like they talk about like a full slate of like neutral site games where like you play like eight in London, you play some in yeah. Mexico, you play some like around the country, you play that don't have pro football. It, it would make sense because like they do that now, but I just feel like, dude, London is insane. Like that is like you have to put both teams on a bye right after that yeah. too. Like yeah. I just to, to do that in week 17, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what if it's like like a team needs to win that game to get into the playoffs and the next weekend they fly back and they're playing a wild card weekend. Yeah. Like that's insane. Like you are putting players in an in incredible like risk of injury, just like a 
poor display of football too. Like, could you imagine? Like, we saw the Vikings when yeah. they went out and played in San Francisco after they did all that travel yeah. look terrible. Yeah. Now think of like that, but they came from London. Like, it would be even worse. <laughs> Over under two and a half games that the Jaguars host in London. They go <laughs> extra season. Well, didn't they say they had the? They're going to two now a year. Yeah, because um, they just literally need to make more money. And like, I know that, that they're doing some upgrades with the stadium or something like yeah. that. Like, give me a break. I guarantee you by like they're, if they get that many people to go watch them play in London for a team that's always middling absolutely dude over two and a half <laughs> yeah I think they're I think they're going to London I'm convinced of it yeah well what's his face the owner is the guy who owns um West Ham I think yeah. one of the English soccer teams yeah. uh but one thing that I took away from this is the t- transition tag and the um franchise tag where you're going down to one of them this year which I think is awesome yeah uh I think that even I think still having the franchise tag is is stupid to me. I think both tags are pointless because the transition tag is never used. No. Um, it might be this year if they actually don't get it done on time. Yeah, so I just think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like this is something that if I'm a player, I want it because that's the difference between Le'Veon Bell getting to free agency, what, two years before he does or yeah. a year before he does? So I generally do like that idea, and I actually think that, you know, with the more money coming in, I think you're going to see a, a, a salary cap bump too, yeah. because you're going to have to start paying players more and way sooner than usual. Yeah. So I'm super into that part of it. I, I I really like that. I just wish they would limit the franchise tag just like to a year or something, one time use per player. Yeah, definitely, I like, agree. I it's said so this before. Stupid. I said this before. Like when Le'Veon Bell was sitting out, I'm like, like this should not be like a like oh you can't get paid, you can't get paid, you can't get paid. Like just let them go get paid. Like, it just seems so like, counterproductive. It's not the point of the tag. The point of the tag is to buy you time to work out a long term agreement. If you're not doing it, what's the point of the tag? Especially because like yeah. the expense is so like marginally different yeah. than like what you would have to pay them in the open market anyway. Yeah. Like I think if you're gonna do it, you gotta make it even more excessive the yeah. the price. Um yeah. if you're gonna keep like that should be a change too because yeah. it's too team friendly for them to do like you said you're supposed to like, hey, I'm Jerry Jones, or let's say I'm I'm um I'm um Tomlin with the Steelers. Here's Le'Veon Bell. Man, I don't really want to pay him. Let me just keep transitioning him, knowing I'm just going to keep buying myself time. Give him 400 carries. Yeah, yeah. until he knows, until he does what he did, like until he holds out for a year. Yeah. I um I hate both the tags. Transition tag, okay, because then it's really forcing them to tag you, to trade you, or sign you because yeah. you cannot do what you do with the franchise tag with that. Yeah, because you can negotiate. You can get like a deal, and like they have to match the deal. If exactly. You get yeah. I just I I really like that idea. I think that this, like you said, the fact that you can literally franchise tag. Le'Veon Bell twice or how many times they did it and without and like what Dallas might do with with one of these guys this offseason without the um Kirk, Kirk Cousins it, basically forced away out by going try and get yeah, tagged three times in a row it's just it sucks I I think it's terrible and I think that's like generally a really good idea because I think we're going to see larger salaries more than what we see already higher salary caps and more guaranteed money like that yeah. is definitely beneficial to the players indeed um, so then I want to jump into the Jets, our yeah. lovely Jets, because obviously, oh brother, <laughs> this is going to affect them, right? Um, everybody, yeah. of course. But fresh off the presses, OBJ oh, back boy. in New York. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, if you haven't heard or you weren't, you know, you haven't seen it. If uh, you're living under a rock. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think SN, I saw SNY report this. 
I don't know who it came from originally, but OBJ, you know, from his camp has made it known that if he does indeed get traded for the Cleveland Browns, he wants to come back to New York and he wants to play for Gang Green, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts when you hear that? To quote one of our good friends on this podcast, why God, why? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I just think it's the one time Mike Francesa really got something right was with Odo Beckham Jr. And he said, he's when, a loser. <laughs> and he said, when he gets traded to his third team, don't be surprised because there's also going to be a fourth team. Yeah. <laughs> so I just cannot fathom. First of all, like he's been posturing this the whole time. Yeah, he was supposed to stick it to the Giants. Did he ever even want to play in Cleveland? Like <laughs> it's like he got there, they lost like two games. And he's like, okay, I'm out. Bomb. Yeah. I'm gone. I just don't get it with him. I mean, like I want no part of him because that's not going to help my young quarterback. No. Having to feed his ego. We just saw what happened with, with Baker, Baker. right? And, like, yeah, Freddie, say what you want about Freddie Kitchens. He wasn't a good coach. But Baker Mayfield regressed mightily. I yeah. mean, not even, like, it, it, you couldn't argue that yeah. he hasn't. So, like, yeah, like here we are. I'm psyched about Sam Darnold. I know some people are still hot and cold on him. But, yeah, I mean, dude, I do not want him here at all. It's going to be a nightmare if he comes because I don't think Joe Douglas is stupid enough to do that, thankfully. I feel like if we with certain other GMs this organization has had, it would have happened. Oh, for sure. Like if, if, if McCadden was running the Jazz right now, Beckham would be here. My my thing is is you need the right coach to corral Beckham. Not like, to mention like the price is excessive, dude. They're not getting a first round pick. No, not a first round pick plus. No, no shot. And and in my opinion, I would maybe do it too, but I don't even think I would do that. No, I wouldn't. For me, it's like it's too much of a headache. I'm taking out a lot of money. I'm eating into my cap space. Maybe like, like a three or a four, right? Maybe yeah. a four and a five. There don't, you go. Don't get me wrong. Would he make them better? Sure he would. But is he worth the headache he's going to bring with him? No. Also, could you imagine Adam Gase and Odell Beckham Jr.? He couldn't handle Jarvis Landry. <laughs> he, he expected to handle Odell Beckham. And my thing is, like you just mentioned it with the salary cap. Like, yeah, the idea with these young quarterbacks is we want to pay around him, right? Keep him on his rookie deal. Let's pay around him. Yeah. But, like, dude. They need like a lot on the offensive line. You can't pay Odell Beckham Jr. top dollar and Le'Veon Bell top dollar and then say, let's go. And fix the line. Exactly. Yeah, because like, you also know, too, as soon as Beckham gets traded here, he's going to say, pay me. I want a new contract. For sure. Yeah. And, and it's just like, I I know they need the right. And I actually wrote an article that like they should go look at Amari Cooper. Um, if he escapes Dallas. Yeah, as we just talked about the multiple tags. Um, but... I just just something about OBJ, man, where we have not seen a dominant Odell Beckham Jr. since like twenty eleven, um, not eleven, 15. sorry, fifteen when they made the playoffs. Yeah, and he would take when another great guest this podcast to point out the Giants won a lot of games. He would take a take a five yard slant, eighty yards to the house, and it would be gone. And yeah. that that. But now it's like, dude, the you know, like imagine the first game where he doesn't get like. 10 targets he doesn't get his catches they lose narrowly i mean that's yeah. it then yeah. then you've lost him you have yeah. lost him like you said i the idea of having this all pro pro bowl receiver on your team get should get you psyched up but there's i just i would never trade the first i'd maybe trade lower mid-round picks because like you said he's eating in your cap space but it's just we've seen like a like sam Darnold doesn't really like throw it downfield you know well he has no time to throw it down the yeah. field either <laughs> We're like, I just feel like the off, but I also feel like the offense, like the way it's built, like with Eli, it was just like, Eli, it was just go, chuck it. Yeah, you like to throw down the field. Exactly. So I just, I don't, I don't like the idea. 
I like the core of, of guys they have now. Um, and Odell, just dude, ugh, I sh- I feel like I should be excited, and I've seen a lot. Of, it's also like let's not get this uh, misconstrued. Like this is just his camp saying this. This isn't like a legitimate. Like trying to create leverage. Exactly. Yeah. So I just I'm not into it. Um, like you said, we'll talk about it. Uh, Joe Wait. Douglas. It's not done anything stupid yet. Yeah, and we'll talk about it as we segue now into this, where the Jets, like you said, they need a lot. Um, they need offensive line. They it's a big offseason coming up. Um, actually, in your fan cited piece, you hinted at exactly that at the offensive line uh, with Scherf, um, Tooney, Thuney. I don't know how to say yeah. his last name. Um, so, like, where do you see this offseason? After we, hey, okay, Odo Beckham Jr. is not really happening. Let's get down to the nuts and bolts here. What do you, th- what is it? Well, you know, what's the top of their list, most biggest priority? Offensive line, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. Joe Douglas knows they need the offensive line fixed. And we saw it last year. As soon as he got there, he signed Ryan Khalil. He traded for Alex, went for Alex Lewis because he said, I can't win with this group. And he was right. They couldn't win with this group. Like once everybody got hurt and the backups actually played better, it's yeah. a sign, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I definitely agree, especially because like they have the money to do it. They don't have what they had last year, but like when you really look at the like with the Jets and and I'm gonna talk ask you this in a little little bit here, but like with tempered expectations, like they're gonna be a good football team. They should be. So they're not that far off if you have an offensive line. They've seen the NFL. That's the way you gotta win. Yeah. Both uh, dominate both sides of the line of scrimmage, and like you said before, Darnold never had the time. Man, it was constant pressure, constant forced throws. So I just. I would love the idea of Sheriff. Just I would pay him a ton. I wouldn't. I don't think I would pay Sheriff. You're more of a, a toony thoony. I'm going to get it wrong because Sheriff because Sheriff is always injured. True. I, and like, I don't want them paying injury prone guy. Rather the young ascending guy who's Oof. like 27 and we just 31. We just saw what happened with with uh, Assembly. Uh, that was a train wreck. Yeah, don't go down that road again. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, for me sign two, draft one, then figure it. Then. For me, my playing offseason, sign two linemen, draft two linemen. Because last year, McCagney didn't even – didn't he draft one offensive lineman? You're right to the Doga in the third in the third round. He ended up starting. and then that, But that was it. Yeah. When he desperately needed it. Yeah, because he has put Band-Aids on the problem for <sighs> years. I, that's, that, it's like they need to really just put a core of a line together that could grow together for like five years and then grow with the quarterback. That's the really the, the key to the whole offseason for them. Because if they do that, I don't think – let me ask you your opinion on this. What's the number where you say where Robbie Anderson's too much, dude? Ten million. I'm not kidding. I want to go over it. Yeah. What do you? What do you? I think over twelve. I. It's like I. I. You know that's not marginally different than like ten to twelve. Is I. I definitely agree. But dude, he doesn't do enough for me in a football game. For a guy who listen, I'm not trying to undervalue him. He definitely can just rip the top off of a defense. But for like a team that desperately needs it and is going to overvalue him so much, there's no way, dude. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. Like I've seen some people go against Amari Cooper because like he'll go ghost in some games. But like at least Amari can do anything from over the middle, outside, you know, everything. Robbie to me is just a one trick pony, man. Yeah. He's not winning many 50-50 balls. He's just gonna like you saw that one ninety two yarder against Dallas, yeah, wide open. Like if he's not blowing the top off of like a zone coverage, he's not gonna do much. Yeah, for me, it's like I saw I me mean, the end of last year. Robbie was making more plays, right? making more contested catches. I remember the Steelers; he had an incredible one in the end zone. We were that was like, it, yeah. But like, I'm not giving him like fifteen million dollars a year. No, I can't. The, I can't. No, no, dude. And I don't mean to like like slander, y'all. Slam 
Robbie, but yeah, dude, there's the, no way. The value's not there. For like a contract that might go for guaranteed, what, like 30, 35? Yeah. That's terrible, dude. I mean, yeah. terrible. Not for this team. No. I, like, I mean, I could, one guy off the out there, I think I could see them going for him as like a cheaper alternative. It was just Rashad Perriman off of Tampa. Yeah, and he's a hot name. Because, yeah. dude, he was really undervalued last year. He, um, he, in, he played well when Evans got hurt. In Tampa. And yeah. I mean, like, listen, yeah, I know Tampa literally was slinging the ball around. Because they had to, yep. um, but yeah, no, and that's a guy that I would definitely look into just because I, Robbie, you know, a team like to me, a team like the Ravens, maybe not because they have Hollywood, but like a team like that that like is really close, yeah, that can like you know maybe front load the contract and cut him after two years, <laughs> yeah, someone's gonna do that, but um, no, dude, I I think it's been. It's been like reported that he's going to get priced out, but I definitely do think he is going to get priced out, and I am fine with that. Yeah, I think one team that watches him, and I'm very interested in this one. I think the Vikings. Yeah, well, they yeah, especially they move on from like Diggs. Yeah, yeah, that's a that, uh, partner him with Thielen. Yeah, Thielen's your underneath guy. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I could definitely see it. Um, but then segueing in, kind of wrapping it up, you know, early early expectations here. We haven't even hit free agency, let alone the draft. Um, seven and nine, you know, they were terrible at one point. Fight back under Gase. Where you look at it just right on paper now. Okay. Mosley's coming back. Yes. Williamson's coming back. You know, with this group right now, what do you think it is? They went seven and nine last year with all that. Right? Before they do anything else. Before they do anything else. And then give me like a few guys to go get, like we kind of already had, and then give me a prediction, early, early, early prediction. I think they get multiple linemen. I think they get a starting corner. I think they're not going to be an expensive corner. I think they'll get. I think they get a couple of receivers. Plays Robbie. Cut Tremaine. Tremaine's gone. Yes. Tremaine is flying out the door. <laughs> they, they're chucking Daryl Rowers out there with him. And I say nine and seven. Okay. Depending could, with room for ascension if the quarterback improves enough. So, I definitely agree. I like think, ten and six, if all goes well, because the schedule's harder this next tough, year. Tough, really tough. Don't they play like Kansas City and all? They that? play the both West divisions. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, nine and seven. But like you said like a lot of it is Sam. Like this is kind of that year, right? Yeah, Where he's got to go. Like like a thirty touchdown, healthy full year, Sam yeah. Darnold. Because the Sam Darnold thinks the difference between between them being like a nine win team and like an eleven win team, and that's every team with yeah. a quarterback. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. I I I I honestly think. Getting a, I think defensively, they're there. With if you get in a corner, like yep. you said, because that is one of the more, um, well, the edge rusher too. I don't know where yeah. they'll find him, but that would be something they should get. Definitely, because then, dude, that's one of the most talented defenses in the NFL. Yeah. If you get that, because your your linebacker spots are superb. We saw what the team was like with CJ. You hope to God that like Quinnen can step it up. He had some good games last year. The interior line played well. I mean, they stopped the run, man. Yes, they Jamal's did. a beast. May's really good. Um, defensively, I'm really not worried about it. Yeah. I just I think that 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 is going to be like one hell of a unit, especially with Greg Williams as the coordinator. But yeah, dude, offensively, it's it's you got to protect your quarterback. And honestly, I I don't know what to expect from Le'Veon Bell. He needs a line. That's as simple as that. Yeah, I don't. I hate the fact that coach staff basically is leaking that he's fa- that he was fat. Yeah, I hated that too. Yeah. It's just you know what? Give him a line, see what happens. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Ten. I I I like that. Nine seven. I hope Sam has his. Not. I'm not asking him to be Mahomes, but I'm asking him to be step up. Step up. Like 
like what Carson Wentz has done, even though I think he kind of regressed a little bit, but he got his butt kicked. But you know what I mean? Yep. Like we need that. You need to watch a Jets game and be like, wow. You know, Sam does it. He'll have a throw every game where you're like, Jesus, like that guy is good. But then there's a lot of other missed throws, head scratching throws. Where you're like, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that is. I, I think that's the most important thing out of everything that goes on for the Jets as we yep. get close to this is Sam Darnold needs to be to take that step. Um, but yeah, um, I that was it. CBA a little Jets rundown, super early Jets rundown. So how do you feel hosting? Uh kind of you got to be on the ball more. Yeah, kind of. Not that I don't listen, but you have to listen more to get your ins and outs of your topics. Way way more. Uh, yeah, I did like it though. Um, yeah. For a little bit, I know we've had segments that are far longer. Where I don't know how you keep, uh, especially with two guests, you gotta play a little referee, and I, I don't know how well I would do with that. I, I tend to call it traffic copping, <laughs> where, where you sort of just trying to direct the conversation while you're injecting your own thoughts. You got to get in between them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a blast. I loved it. This is fun. Yeah, I figured you know, give the audience a little curveball, give them something a little different, and, and like see what see what it'd be like if I was the guest. Yeah, how, yeah. What's your? How was that? How was being the guest? It was fun because like <laughs> people don't realize how much like prep work goes into this thing. Definitely. Where you like contacting guests, you like figuring out what you want to talk about. You're like doing like the audio work. So it's fun just to, like show up and just like be asked questions. Yeah, I did about ten percent of what you usually do. I just showed up and asked the questions. Uh, everybody else who doesn't know, there's hours behind this. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, man. There are parts of this podcast that I'm not you're gonna get to later that are pretty long. Yes, definitely. Oh, if, yeah. Anytime you get Stanko on, yeah. <laughs> well, spoiler alert. <laughs> we might be hearing from him later, and he's always a great listen. Yep, we got some more guests coming up as well. Well, I will I'll take the show back from here. Thank you for taking the of time course. to stop here. So. Before I let you go, how people follow you on social media? Uh, yeah, Twitter at Will Schneider, Schneider H one S C H N E I D E R H one, and uh, yeah, follow me on there. Always putting some uh, hot takes out there. A little Rangers playoff push. I'll be all under Rangers hockey till they break my heart. Until the Mets start and they break my heart. So, uh, you fit right in the theme of the Jets. Absolutely, the suffering. We're, we're lots of suffering. I forgot to say, then the Jets will break my heart after that. So yes, suffering always. <laughs> we didn't. Even, we didn't even mention the Knicks. We're just their own disaster. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Quill. Up next, we will chat with our special guest for the 100th episode, one of the bigger ones I have booked to date. That's coming up right after this. Why screw with that? Why screw with that to now make a standalone NFC versus AFC game so that everybody in your conference has an odd number of road versus home games? I just think it's dumb. It's better than having 16 neutral site games. But it's still, it's still unnecessary. It doesn't need to happen, but the NFL is forcing this down our throat. All right, I am back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Joining me today is the host of the DA show on CBS Sports Radio in morning drive time, Damon Mendelara. Damon, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Pretty good. Actually, did you know I actually had your producer Mariz on the podcast twice before? I did not realize that. Did he embarrass the show? No, he was actually pretty good. He was enthusiastic about his Giants when he came on. He's normally like that. If you catch him early enough in the season or during the off season, wildly optimistic, and then you catch him in season, incredibly pessimistic, and everybody needs to be fired. 
Yeah, I remember I talked to him last year, I think in the offseason, right before training camp. He thought the Giants win the division. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, coming into a season where the Cowboys had Super Bowl expectations and the Eagles were just a couple of years removed from the Super Bowl, and here he is picking the Giants to win the division. Sounds about right. That sounds about right. Let's, let's go to New York football for a minute because, I mean, neither team has been very good for a long time. Which of them do you think actually is in better shape right now? Well, I guess it's the Jets because the Jets are closer to competing in their division and closer to competing for a playoff spot than the Giants. I mean, last year, obviously, we saw a little bit of a turnaround for the Jets in the second half of the season after the injuries were behind them, especially the Sam Darnold. Whereas the Giants, they just have so little talent and obviously a complete unknown at the head coaching position right now and what that's going to look like under Joe Judge, who knows? So I think the Jets are closer to competitiveness, but I don't know if I feel great about whether the Jets are close enough to actually be competing for you know, deep runs into January. I mean, could they be a 9-7 and seven team? Yeah, I think so. Could they be a 10-6 and six team? I think so if everything breaks their way. But they've got a ways to go before, you know, we can really pencil them in as a team that you can feel optimistic about going into this season with a game plan and execution, a head coach that you believe in, and parts around Sam Darnold. There's a long ways to go, I still think, for the Jets. Yeah, I agree. I feel like they might be one who gets helped out if the playoffs actually do expand. So I talked about this earlier in my podcast. What do you think about the proposal to go to seven playoff teams? Well, I mean, on the one hand, I get why fans would like it because kind of what you're alluding to, there's another playoff spot in each conference for some team to get in, and we've seen enough teams go from playing wildcard weekend to winning a Super Bowl to make you believe, okay, you're kind of never out of the championship race. My problem here is that I don't think it's necessary. I think the NFL playoff system is really wonderful the way that it is, and if it means having to add a 17th game, well, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like the idea of an imbalanced schedule. I don't like the idea if it's going to be eight home games, eight road games with one neutral site game for everybody. I don't like the idea of that many more international games. So, you know, it kind of depends on the cost. I mean, if, if it was just they just want to add an extra playoff team to each conference, okay, but if it's all those other things baked into it to get there, I'm not really on board. It also feels like the 17 is sort of a way station. We're going to get the 18 games and maybe even just say, you know, we'll get eight teams in there. So turning into the NBA and the NHL in terms of playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, the NFL postseason, I don't think anybody ever goes into the playoffs and year, year in, year out, go, boy, there's just not enough teams to make the playoffs. I mean, I, yes, a few 10 and sixes that have missed the postseason. That's kind of, they're deserving. But we've also had a few eight days to make the playoffs. So it, it cuts both ways. And I just don't think there's necessarily a need to have more playoff teams in there, especially if it means getting to 17-game season. Yeah, I think the other big NFL thing I'm curious about right now is the whole Tom Brady situation. Where do you think he's going to end up this year? Well, I personally don't think he's returning to New England. I think he's left enough breadcrumbs out there and that the Patriots front office, namely Robert Kraft, has seemingly said enough to make me believe that they're worried about the PR of him leaving and wanting everybody to know, hey, it's not our fault. We're willing to go $30 million a year. No, it's not our fault. We pray that he comes back. It's not our fault. We want him to retire or, or see a Patriot. You know, that's enough to make me believe they're worried about it. 
And I think Tom Brady does want one last hurrah without Bill. I really think that there is an element of this that he wants. So my money is on him leaving. And if it's on him leaving, I think there's only two destinations that make sense. The Raiders in Las Vegas or the Chargers in Los Angeles. Now, I don't know if he would trust the Chargers organization because there's not a lot of players that flock there to free agency and say, oh, this is a model organization. Now, people don't say that about the Raiders either, but the Raiders do have an owner that seems to be trying to woo him. The Raiders do have a brand historically, and the Raiders are going to Las Vegas with a brand new stadium and a lot of glitz and glamour around them. So I think those are the only two reasonable places for Brady to end up. Yeah, that makes some sense. Let's shift gears to baseball for a minute. Obviously, spring training started, but the whole sport's never shot by the sign-stealing thing. If we said, okay, we're putting DA in charge of MLB, how would DA handle the Astros thing right now? Well, if I was the commissioner, I would have challenged the union. I would have suspended all players that were on that 2017 roster, and this includes Carlos Beltran as well, since he's retired. I would say you're banned from baseball for a year. And I would have let the union come after me. Now, the union might have every legal grievance in the world because, you know, the players weren't warned officially or effectively by the, by the, by the league. But what I would be saying if I was Rob Manfred was unacceptable and I'll take, I'll take on the union and then force the union to have to defend 25 or 30 members of the Astros at the risk of alienating their, the, the rest of the players that were cheated out of World Series and wins and MVP awards, etc. So I would have liked to see how that would have played in the union. And instead, Rob Manfred took the easy way out, which ended up being the hard way, which was don't punish them at all. Now, if he wasn't going to challenge the union, then I think you do have to negate and vacate the World Series. But he didn't do that either. And so by not doing either one of those things, he left everybody saying you didn't do enough, nobody happy, nobody satisfied, and where we are right now. But if I was Rob Manfred, I would have said everybody associated with the Houston Astros in 2017, you're suspended for the year, and we'll talk after the year, and then let the union be the bad guy. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also feel like some of the stuff he's throwing out there now at the Universal DH and the playoff thing has been leaked. I feel there's sort of like attempts to distract, say like, I know I got this wrong, but like, Look at my shiny new playoff idea. Let's talk about that instead. Probably. I mean, there are people around baseball that say, no, that had nothing to do with it. I don't believe that just like you don't believe that. And I think that Rob Manfred has been tapped with a really tough spot where we are in a day and age where if you're not a hardcore baseball fan, you might be slowly or quickly detaching from the game and that the pace of play might be too slow, not enough offense, all or nothing at that, not enough action. So he's been tasked with a lot of a lot of pressures right now with the league. And this was a chance for him to earn a lot of credibility in a tough spot, not easy, but he didn't do that. And so now Rob Manfred is going to forever be the guy that went easy on the Astros and a lot of people immediately not have a lot of uh, a lot of trust in. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to go to the actual teams on the field for a minute. Yankees, I feel like they're obviously the favorite, but if I'm a Yankee fan, I feel like all these pitching injuries already and Aaron Judge having a solo thing, I feel like I'd be worried the injury bug's coming again. Yeah, I would be too. I mean, last year, the Yankees were absolutely ravaged by injuries and finally getting everybody back after an offseason, ready to go, was going to be, you know, the real Yankees. 
and instead, Paxton going down, Severino going down, Judge, which at least Judge feels like it's day to day. But with the starting pitching of Paxton and Severino, that puts an enormous amount of pressure on Garrett Cole. Brian Cashman's proven that he can build a roster that can sustain, just like last year, they got to the World Series despite all those injuries. But before spring training even starts, to have two of your best starters already lost for a period of time is really scary. And I agree with you. It kind of feels like, wow, is this going to happen again to him? Yeah, it does. And I will admit it's not my problem because I'm a Mets fan. I'm cautiously optimistic about this team, even though they have all this stuff going on at the sale and the manager change and all that. Am I wrong to feel like, you know, this team might be a little better than people think it is? Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. You know, I, I kind of feel the same way, and I think it's part of kind of coming in under the radar this year because last year was once again a bit of a lost season, and they had so many injuries. And then, you know, the, the explosion, the implosion of Edwin Diaz. I mean, had they simply had an average Diaz and an average manager, Mickey Calloway, that didn't kind of personally screw up games, and that's a team that is going into the final weekend trying to make a playoff spot or in a playoff spot. I mean, that's how that's how close they were to having a, a really good season last year. So if all you get out of Diaz is just serviceable, just serviceable and not total disaster, and if Luis Rojas just proves that he can – managed by the book and not screw things up by going totally against the grain, then that maybe you don't get Alfonso, maybe you don't get Peter Alonso's season that he had last year. Maybe he doesn't replicate that, but you don't need that for the Mets to be in the 85 to 89 win category in which you're battling for a playoff spot. That'd be exciting for me because I've seen way too many years where the stuff just doesn't go as planned. I nice tend to overachieve for once. Yeah, it would be. It'd be nice to kind of come out of nowhere and, and pleasantly surprise everybody, but uh, unfortunately, not the Mets' reputation, that's for sure. Yeah, I have, have uh, some terrible luck in life with teams I root for. Another one of them is the awful New York Knicks, so I feel like are the worst of the teams I root for. But, like, do I have any chance of hope in my life as a Knicks fan as long as Dolan owns this team? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I hate to be, you know, hate to be flippant about it, but I just don't see where it's going to change. I mean, there's this idea that, okay, when you bring in Leon Rose, he's got connections to players. He's got connections to, to the relationships you need. But when has that ever helped the Knicks before? I mean, they've supposedly hired coaches or hired Phil Jackson or had Isaiah Thomas. And, and, and they've gone through all these ideas of, oh, they'll get the connections to the players to build to the free agency. Well, you can't build through free agency. I don't know why nobody points this out, that None of the teams that are good are built primarily through free agency. Yes, the Lakers got LeBron and AD. Okay, that's fine. But they only acquire AD because they have all of the other young players that they drafted. And, oh, by the way, LeBron and all those other young players were awful last year. So you would not only have to be able to take a cut of free agency at Landon, but you also have to have a team around them. So, the Knicks don't have either one of those things, and I just don't see how it ever changes. I just wish Dolan would take a page at what he does to the Rangers. He kind of gets out of the way, lets them do their own thing, and all of a sudden they look like they're about to turn the corner and be a contender in the next two years. He just constantly feels like he's in the way with the Knicks, and like it's like, oh, the Garden, the Mecca, we're going to sell this to the free agents. None of them ever come here. No doubt. It's amazing. You know, you could have 
You could have James Dolan as an owner of both the Knicks and the Rangers. The Rangers could be competitive three different times with pair down to the tweed in the same time that the Knicks never got it right. It's a, it is amazing, and it's just frustrating because they never get it. It's just so mind-boggling to me because, like, they assaulting Leon Rose. I'm like, just because he's bring Leon Rose in does not mean he's going to get his clients to come here. It's not the same thing. It's like baseball where you just throw the most money at them and they come. That's exactly right. I mean, everybody's kind of dealing with the same amount of money in many ways. You, know, you have max contracts, super max contracts, Larry Bird rights. And so the Knicks don't have spending power, plus you have luxury tax thresholds. They don't have spending power beyond what other teams have. And so then what's their, what's their magnetic, you know, uh, part of the organization to, to, to draw players in? Well, that would usually be winning. And they don't have that either. That would be a strong organization, a great owner. They don't have that. So I just don't see how it changes. I don't see how it changes either. One thing, nationally, I want to get your take on before I let you go is, like, obviously boxing, I don't think I've ever talked about my podcast before, but, like, everybody's raving about this fight over the weekend between uh, Wilder and Fury. What was your thought on that? Well, Tyson Fury fought a hell of a fight, and he had kind of a perfect game plan. He crowded. Deontay Wilder didn't allow Wilder's big power punches to be able to hit him. And ultimately, Tyson Fury dominated the fight and proved that he's one of the best stories, certainly in boxing, maybe of any sport in recent memory. I mean, this is a guy that was dealing with suicidal tendencies and manic depressive tendencies and alcohol abuse, substance abuse, cocaine abuse, and goes from you know 150 pounds overweight to heavyweight champion of the world in a dominant fashion. So that turnaround by Tyson Fury is just a remarkable turnaround that he really, he owned the fight on Saturday. He dominated. Yeah, it'd be nice to see boxing actually make a comeback. I feel like every, until this one, I feel like every sort of big event was sort of like overhyped and didn't deliver. Like I remember a few years ago, I bought with my friends the Pacquiao Mayweather fight. It was just so underwhelming. Well, yeah, everybody around boxing knew that that was well too late for Pacquiao and Mayweather to be fighting. Both those guys have passed their prime. Pacquiao was a very, very back end of his career. One last money grab. And so, yeah, boxing has not had a lot of tier A draws in a long time. This is one of them because of the heavyweight division. And I don't know if this really lived up to it. I mean, Tyson Fury lived up to it. I don't know if the Wilder did. But that's a big problem with boxing. They just don't have enough events to really captivate a casual audience. Well, there you have it. Going around the New York sports, a little bit of national stuff with Damon Mendelara. Damon, thanks for all the times that I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, can you tell everybody how to follow you on social media and how to and what you're up to on the DA show in the mornings? Yeah, not a problem. We uh, we do morning drive on CBS Sports Radio, so you can find that across the country in a number of affiliates. But really, you know, in podcast form, our full episodes are there, and the best of episodes are there as well. So you can find us in all the podcast forms. You can stream us. Just watch the show at watchda.com. It's a great, great group of guys that I work with. It's really, we have fun every morning, great chemistry. We've been working together for a number of years, so everybody kind of gets along but is able to bust chops as well. And uh, we like to take kind of a lighter side of sports most of the time. So it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we're looking forward to, to the spring with the March Bandits coming up here. Yeah, March Madness will definitely be fun. I also want to say I really th- appreciate you coming on with because, I mean, I've heard you talk twice at Iona College. You came down to speak to the grad parents. Being able to talk to you is a real treat. I appreciate that, Mike. Very nice of you to say that, man. Thanks for, for having me. No problem. Thanks again. I appreciate it. You got it, Mike.
All right, and there you have it. That was the great Damon Amendolar from CBS Sports Radio. I really want to thank him for taking the time to come on this podcast. It's really awesome. I really appreciate it. Up next, our highlights of 100 in the seventh inning stretch right after this. All right, we are back here on the seventh inning stretch of episode number 100. Time to take a look at the highlights of 100, 10 of the greatest moments in this podcast, or so I think. I brought somebody here with me to help me figure out if I made the right calls. It's our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rosa. Sam, welcome to episode 100. Thanks for having me. I believe this is my 11th time now on the show. Yes, it is. Num- <laughs> I guess Super Bowl didn't go too bad. No, Super Bowl was popular. Yeah, okay. Pe- people said they wanted more Sam, so here we are. I don't believe that, but okay. <laughs> you don't, you have to take my word for it. I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. Okay, so are you surprised we actually hear at 100 episodes on this thing? No, it's fun to be on the show, so of yeah. course it's going to do well. Come yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, there are times I'm like, uh, am I going to make it this far? Like, what am I going to do when football's over? And then, you know what? It's worked. It's still here. You got a lot of sports to cover. I do have a lot of sports to cover. And a lot of New York suffering to cover, too. <laughs> oh, yes. I was just talking about it with Damon Amendolar. I asked him, I said, am I... Do I have any hopes, Nick fan? He has told me, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and you know what? Soon. Maybe in 20 years. Maybe in 50. Yeah. Dole was not, never going to listen to this podcast. So I will be nicer to him because <laughs> he he does own the Rangers. And the Rangers are okay. But we will get to the clips, which is why you're here. We I have went through the archives. I pulled 10 clips from the run of the show talking about some interesting stories and all that good stuff. I think we should start off at the beginning. Don't you agree? Oh, definitely. We will go back to episode number one for this clip when I interviewed my friend Steve Popolowski, who at the time was working for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, when there was a young prospect there by the name of Pete Alonzo. I asked him for a scouting report on Pete Alonzo, and this is what Steve had to say. Uh, The kid can hit. I mean, from the day he showed up last year, we've got a, uh, you know, we're like most minor league ballparks. We've got two levels of, of outfield signage. And uh, the first wall, of course, you clear that, it's a home run. And there's a second wall. And uh, that those signs are probably 12 feet off the ground. And uh, he hit two, either his first game or one of his first couple games he was here, he hit two off this IBM sign, which is in West Center Field. It's got to be, you know, getting close to 400 feet out there. And, like, just we hadn't had a guy with power like that. You know, everything had been kind of about – Dom Smith and, and Ahmed Rosario, who are great players, but not that kind of power threat where they're just going to absolutely mash the ball. So from like day one, we're like, this kid can really rake, and he has not stopped. Even in April this year when it was 35 degrees every night and a lot of the guys were hitting in the low 100s, he was still hitting 330, 340. Yeah, I think he nailed that one. That was from June of 2018. That's insane. That's really cool that you have like a piece on him. Yeah. And what like what he is now. That's yeah. really awesome. Yeah, back at the beginning, I'm like, okay, Pete Alonso's doing well. I gotta talk to him about Pete and then like, he gave you this story. I'm like <laughs> and then I'm sitting here and about like last year he's had like thirty home runs on the break. I'm like, Oh, this is actually interesting this happened. Yeah, and that's crazy. Yeah. And then now he's like the reigning rookie home yeah, now run he's, guy. Now he's the polar bear. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's just become a whole superstar of his own. I love Pete Alonso. Oh no, I really appreciate it. I was mm-hmm. I was rooting for him yeah. to break Judge's record. 
Yeah, as a hundred percent. As a Yankee fan too, that's impressive. Oh yeah, no, yeah. he's like I don't know. It's just something about like, you know, you are so involved with the Yankees, such a yeah. team that's does well. Yeah. Well, this year, <laughs> well, yeah. this past season, I should say. Uh, but like the Mets, like you root for them because you want them to do well. Like I yeah. remember 2015 staying up watching yeah. the entire World Series and everything with my poor mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a that was not a fun ending, but a fun ride. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go on to another fun baseball story. Somebody you and I both know very well. The great Rick Cerrone, friend of this podcast. He's come on here a couple of times. The good first, old Rick. Good old Rick. His first appearance was on the holiday, first holiday special where we went through some of his highlights of his career. This is a bit of a long one because, as you know, Rick likes to talk and Rick tells plenty of stories. I love his stories, though. Love his stories. I got a good story for you. This is from episode 26. You were on this episode at the end of it, but and he's, at the beginning here, Rick was talking about his time when he had to help set up a memorial for the great Joe DiMaggio at spring training for the Yankees. Here is Rick Cerrone. I said, I think there needs to be a really good-sized floral arrangement uh, out there, you know, that we put out there to, to, to mark this sad occasion. Now, I'd already been out there and measured the height of the thing, and the, so I knew exactly what I wanted. So he said, that's a great idea. Get right on that. And with that, his secretary walked in and said, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm not trying to eavesdrop, but I heard you getting, you, you want flowers. And the woman who does the flowers in the suites, uh, she's here. Do you want me to send her in? Yes, yes, send her in, send her in. So this young woman comes in, yes, and tell her what you need. And I said, well, I want to have a three, 28 inches high. By it needs to be this. And I give her very specific. And um, she goes, okay, I'll get right on. I said, now, how long will that take, do you think? I could probably get that in here within an hour to an hour and a half. Well, it's 8.30 in the morning. That's fine. So she goes off, right? So um, I go back to my office, and uh, 10 minutes later, 20, half hour later, the phone rings, and it's the front desk. And the woman says, uh, the woman from the florist is, is in the lobby for you? I okay. So I walk down there, and she's holding this little cup of flowers, like this little tiny thing that's in her fits in her hand. I'm like, oh, boy. She goes, before you say anything, this is not the, the, the floral arrangement you requested that's on its way, but I went around the suites, and I pulled some flowers. Do you want to put this out there until the real ones arrive? And I said, no, I don't, because I don't want people thinking that that's something we would put out there. You know, that this, that's not, I'd rather just wait till the real one. Well, with this, who comes walking through the lobby, seeing the two of us with this little cup of flowers, is Mr. Steinbrenner. And he goes absolutely bonkers. You idiot, this is not what I wanted. This is this is outrageous. I can't I can't trust you to do anything. Go back to your office, and I'll never forget these words. As I I'm walking away laughing. This, this is hysterical. And as I'm walking to the elevator, I hear from behind me, Cerrone, That's it. You're off the flower detail. <laughs> You're off the flower detail. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I could just like I could picture that entire exchange. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Did you know in that same episode, he also told me that it was actually talked from Billy Crystal about doing a sitcom based on him. Oh, yeah. I think I feel like you've said that before. Like, I think that is, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Billy Crystal probably wanted to do a sitcom called This Is Rick based on Rick's. But Rick. like he would play Rick though, right? 
I think he would play Rick. Okay, good. I love yeah. Billy Crystal. <laughs> I think that would have been interesting, but Rick, plenty of great stories on that episode, including some stuff. He had stories about Barry Bonds, about how he worked with him in Pittsburgh. He had some great Jared Deer stories down the line, some other stuff. But a lot of, if you like a good story, listen to Rick's Run. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You want to stick with some baseball? I love baseball. Let's go. Yeah. Did you know that on this podcast, I actually predicted the World Series correctly? Oh, yeah? Yeah. This I have, past year? This past year. I actually have the receipts. This is from the opening day episode of baseball this year. I talked with our good friends, Will Schneiderhand and Anthony Sorbellini, and we were making World Series predictions, and this was mine. Yeah, I have the Nationals breaking through as well. I thought the Bryce Jenks was real, so yeah. I think they could get there, but they are going to lose to the Houston Astros. I think the Astro Ooh. pitching, I think that's very underrated right now. The Yankees, I think, still have questions on that starting pitching staff. That's a huge problem in the playoffs. Yeah. My finest prediction yet. That's really spooky. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I put, I'm like, I'm proud of something. Like, I put that on the air. I can't even backtrack. But, like, did you think about that come postseason? Like, were, was that, like, I, thought in the back of your head? I had to go. I went back because I'm like, okay, I think we were close on some of these. I had yeah. to check. And I'm like, okay. At one point, I think it was, like, somebody had Yankees, Nationals. Somebody had, I had Astros, Nationals. I'm like, well, this could be right. So That's so funny. I would have yeah. never picked the Nationals. Except I like the the Bruce curse. The Bryce curse. <laughs> right, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, the Bryce curse was real. I do buy that. Oh, my God. And speaking of the Astros. Have you been following the buzzer story? 100%. When this first came out, I got Schneider and Sorbellini back on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We talked about this. And this is the, right when the sign stealing thing was going crazy. When we had, you know, all the managers getting fired and there was something new coming every day. The thing that stuck with us the most was the thing about the buzzers. <laughs> here's our take on the, here's our question about the buzzers. That's why I just can't imagine it's real, but that thing, like, I'm not even kidding. That is, like, ridiculous. Can you imagine, like, getting pinched right before, and you're, ah, oh, slider, and then you have the time to, like, even register what you have to yeah. do? I'd be still, like, freaking out, like, what, what's the, what's buzzing way, in my shirt? The way they make it sound, exactly. the way they make it sound, it makes it sound like they basically took those, like, Applebee's buzzers you get when you wait for the table <laughs> at the restaurant, just taping inside their jersey, just yeah, buzzing right? it. Well, also, like, how big are they if supposedly there were buzzers? I mean, you know, you got to tape them down and everything, like... Not easy. Yeah, and especially because like, oh, no. especially but, some guys are mic'd up during games and everything. So what are you gonna do? I, can't even... I couldn't. I mean, that was just so funny. I had to put it in there. <laughs> I could totally see them using because like restaurants don't use those buzzers anymore. They're like, what <laughs> can we use for these? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing that went to my mind because because like I was like, you have experience with restaurants. I've been to plenty of restaurants. I just yeah, thought, yeah. I say, I say buzzer. I'm like, wait, what? The apple beat? Like, put the buzzer like one of these in there? I'm like, yeah. I was just not gonna get noticed. Oh my. Oh god. It's a very sore topic with me. <laughs> I know it's a very sore topic with all Yankee fans because they all feel they got robbed. Yeah. I just like the player who's suing from. I think it was Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, like you know, it's like he's not getting any personal gains. But, you know, like, he's just trying to make a point. And I think it's great because you know, the thing that's going to tick me off the most about this season is, who, like, whoever throws at Houston is going to get more time, like, out of baseball than any of them for who cheated. Yeah, baseball is frustrating sometimes. So frustrating. So frustrating. Love it. Yeah, I, so do I. Let's go to – I did not put any basketball in here because there's nothing for me to be happy about with basketball because <laughs> the Knicks are so bad. Poor Knicks. Do you want to do football or hockey? I'll give you your choice. Ooh. Let's do football first. Okay, we'll do football first. Another person we are very familiar with, the great Mark Malusis, a.k.a. Moose, <laughs> came on my podcast last last year, right around the Super Bowl time. This is right when the Jets had hired a new coach. Okay. I asked him for his take on the great Adam Gase. All right. And this is what Moose had to say. The issue I have with Gase is this. Is you see guys, historically speaking, that jump right back into head coaching opportunities after a failure 
and the success rate is very, very low. He's not humble. They haven't really learned all that much. He got rewarded with a job that's probably a better job than the one that he just left. And, and that's the problem I have with the hiring. I, I think he's a good coach. I think he's got to learn how to communicate with players. Um, certainly there was issues down in Miami uh, with uh, relating and communicating with those players. So he's got issues. Uh, there's no question about it now. He's got a good staff. I like the hiring of Greg Williams. I do think he's probably a, a better coach right now than what Todd Bowles was um, after, you know, before they fired him. So I was a Bowles supporter. Um, but I, I think the hiring's okay. I don't think it's a home run. I feel like he accurately summed up the entire Jet season back in January of 2019. Yeah, I'm thinking of Sam Darnold's face. Yeah. <laughs> like with him looking at him like the entire, oh my God. I knew we were in trouble once we had the press conference and you saw Gase doing the bug eyes in the press conference. Yeah. I'm like, this is not good. This does not look like a professional football coach. I don't know how you're a Jets fan. I give you a lot of credit. It's very, very hard. To all you Jets fans out there, it's, I give you also, I give you a lot of credit. It's like a, it's like a badge of honor when you, have, you actually do win. Which yeah. we don't get much of. <laughs> like, I understand that, but I just feel like it's extra hard on you guys. <laughs> it's hard when you have terrible ownership. Yeah. And I think you may relate to that slightly. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> here we talked about this earlier, about maybe your team might be considering playing extra games in London now. Yeah, no, and a lot of players are not for that. It's just because he's... Owns he owns Man City. Do you? Oh think, no, he owns Fulham. I apologize. Yeah, he owns yeah. Fulham. Do you think they're going to end up there full time? Um, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think it's that it's popular like how they're trying to make baseball popular. But I don't think I don't think they would do well. Yep. Maybe he can he with all of his millions of dollars yeah. or pounds, he can go buy something over there. Yeah, that'll be better for you guys. Get the football back to Jacksonville. In Swampland. <laughs> In Swampland. And I, since I did the Jets, I'm going to be fair and give some balance. I have a New York football Giants clip as well. That was very nice of you. Yes, it was very nice of me. One of my great friends, one of my favorite ranters on this podcast, Justin Diaz. We, <laughs> uh, he first came on my podcast, I think, way back in like the 10s, somewhere uh-huh. in there. I think 13 maybe he was on. Did the NFL picks. I asked him about the Giants. I'm like, how are the Giants going to do this year? This led to about a four-minute rant about the state of the New York Giants, uh, how bad they were being. Oh, bad. Oh, man. Like, literally, I'm just speechless for that one. <laughs> I think they were 0-2 at that point. They were about to play the Cowboys. <laughs> or just, it is lost to the Cowboys. And I pulled a snippet of that rant of talking about how the Giants organization is not very successful. I feel like the, the organization, the fans adopt this mindset that the Giants are this amazing organization that can do no wrong. We're, we're due. We're, we're owed success, and, and it's expected. I, I like the mindset of expecting success, but at the end of the day, you have to evaluate your roster and, and see where it stands and make decisions accordingly. You can't look at a roster where you've made the playoffs once in the last six years. You had one fluke season where you went 11 and five two years ago. Maybe Giant fans don't want to hear that. That was more, every game. Every win was a as a one or two point win where you scratched it out. The offense did nothing, and Beckham took a five-yard slant, 80 yards to the house. That's not sustainable success. Any thoughts as analysis there? You said this was recorded right after they lost to the Cowboys? In 2018. I mean, any loss after the Cowboys. It's totally understandable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like he did such a good job breaking it down because... Like, you can, like, sense his anger, but he was so calm. <laughs> he was so calm at that moment. I've seen him get angrier, like... <laughs> but, like, it was a perfect point because, I mean, this... The one year they won 11 games, there were a lot of plays are like, it's Odell Beckham saved the day, Odell Beckham yeah. did this. And I'm just throwing this out there. It says at the top of the show at Will, I want him nowhere near my football team. 
Mm, I don't think anybody does at this point. Because the rumor is he wants to come here and play for the Jets. Why? I guess to stick to the Giants. That's so silly. It's, it's frustrating me because, like, thankfully I think my GM is not stupid enough to do it. Yeah, no. I, I just I feel like, mm, I don't know. I just don't, I can see why, but I just think he's just going to, it's like him sticking his foot in his mouth. That's what it's going to end up being if he ends up coming back to New York. Yeah, it will not be pretty if he comes back to New York, no I don't think. No way. And it'll just be a matter of, like, oh, he'll start off hot. If they start losing, he'll complain and he'll want to leave. Exactly. Like, you have to stick with something. That's what you're taught when you're a little kid. Stick with something. You know, and it, you you know, the more you stick with something, the better off and the yeah. bigger the reward. Yeah. I get, if yeah. that made zero sense, but whatever. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a kernel of wisdom be taken out of there. A very small snippet. I don't know if Odell will find it, but it, it's there. I hope he never hears that one. I feel like he would beat me up. I don't think Odell will be listening to this. I'm fairly safe to say that. He'll throw his, like, what? Ten thousand dollar cleat at my head, like blah. He's on the. <laughs> I think he's on the list of ops of this podcast. It's like it's <laughs> it's him, Adam Gase, and I think Rob Manford, the top three. I can see Adam Gase sitting there, like listening, like who's saying stuff about me. Well, I mean, Adam Gase allegedly had a burner account, which we, <laughs> which we still haven't figured out the identity of who that was. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's rumors it was him. There's rumors that the Jet beat report in each meta did this yeah. make fun of Gase, like. <laughs> <laughs> there's a third party we were involved in like i don't know that's a mystery we'll never find the answer to it's like one of those good mysteries to let let, let it lie let's stay yeah. a mystery yeah let's let's go to the hockey well for a little bit because hockey we're in hockey season we're oh, putting yeah. on the day of the hockey trade deadline the, the rangers kept chris Kreider and made me happy yeah and they're my one team that actually has a chance of being successful so that's nice i have like good feelings about them for next season i think they're gonna be in great shape next season oh you know what i'm gonna give them two seasons yeah, I agree. Two. I was like, for one season is like way too. That's way too soon. Two years, they're going to be a cup contender. Definitely. That's going on the record. I, we'll play that back in episode three hundred and see if that came <laughs> 300, true. Three <laughs> hundred. But we'll go to another uh, somebody we know very well, the great Ross Greenberg. All he, right. He was on holiday special number two this year. Went through a lot of his stuff, and do you remember he was actually involved in creating the movie Miracle? Yes. Yeah. I figured that was the appropriate time since the this weekend was the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice game. That's crazy. Four, 40? 40. Wow. It was, I think it was actually, I think, Friday. Or it was actually Saturday, I think, was the 40th anniversary of the okay. game. And Ross told me a great story on this holiday special, which is episode 89, about the, about the movie Miracle. So this is Ross Greenberg on Miracle. Well, it was fun. I mean, we, we got to interview, you know, many of them. And uh, came up with some unbelievable stories. I mean, about Herb Brooks's speech and intermissions, about the the classic scene in Miracle where Herb Brooks had them after a tie in Norway uh, during the exhibition season leading up to the Olympics. He had them skate these Herbies, he called them, back and forth on the ice uh, until they turned the lights off in the arena because they wanted to save money. And Herb just had them going at it for like a half an hour. Became one of the classic scenes in movie history uh, when I made Miracle. You remember that scene? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a good movie. Yeah. I, I always, when the Winter Olympics come around, I always try and get that movie and watch it. Yeah. Like every four years I watch Miracle. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Eh, yeah. Because I, I, I definitely mm. just watched it back to back because... Yeah. It was on Netflix, yeah. and then I rewatched it. I think they have it on Disney Plus. Yeah. Maybe I watched it twice on Netflix. Yeah, I was in a very hockey mood. Yeah, I was in a very hockey mood, and I love that movie. I always have. Yeah, it's because um, 
the way he coached, yeah. like, because they were all from different places, yeah. he he made himself the enemy yeah. for them to, like, come together. Against and him. And it's, like, perfect because, like, so many coaches use that. As, yeah, it's a good motivational tactic. I, exactly. I think it makes a lot of sense. Speaking of motivation, we're talking about, you know, I know you mentioned in the past, back in your college days, you've been to a lot of Islander games. Oh, yeah. I went to an Islander Ranger game this year. Yeah. I, yeah. And was that the one the Islanders won or is it the one the Rangers Oh, won? no. It's the one the Islanders won. And I was wearing a Ranger hat and I was like secretly like, yeah. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the Islanders last year made some news when they, when John Tavares left yeah. and he went to Toronto. The Islander fans were not thrilled. And, <laughs> our, and our hockey guy, Pete Contadori, mm-hmm. he's known to rant on things. I took I gave I gave you a break from the blue jacket rants. I think I was some play to death at this point. <laughs> Pete had some words about the Islander fans Uh-oh. and how they reacted to Tavares. This is what Pete had to say back I think in episode seventy. And what they did to John Tavares, I must say, was really disrespectful. I don't care what kind of signing he did, I don't care how he did it, it was rude. It wasn't right. This guy has been the leader of your team for X amount of years. Stayed with you when your organization is really your organization was really just crap. It really was. The GM didn't know what the hell he was doing. The, you played. You didn't know what building you were going to play in, and he stuck around for that. He had a chance to play for his childhood team. You would do the same. So I disagree with Islander fans when it comes to that. So where did you fall on the Islander fans versus Tabaris thing? Oh, I mean, like, honestly, I'm... When it comes to players, like I like look at them as people. Yeah. So like they're gonna make do the thing that's best for them. Because honestly, you would think that you would want to do that. Like if that was your brother, if that was your nephew, you know, your best friend, you would want them to do well for themselves. Exactly. You don't want them to like stick around a sinking ship or a possible sinking ship. But you know, everything is there for a reason. So you're Team P on this one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, especially he made some great arguments. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they they were terrible when he was oh, there. Oh yeah, I mean, like, what do you expect? You get beaten down. Yeah, and you you stuck it out as long as you could. And you want, and now you say, you know what? Like, I I can go play for my childhood team. I can make a lot of money doing it. Like, exactly. why not? And I don't begrudge him. I I mean, you saw the photos with the Islander fans with like the '91 Trader jerseys. Yeah, were, I mean that's were, that's were, Long Islanders for you. Yeah, they were booing him during the tribute video, like. There's, like they they could not win those Islander fans. No, they're just they're a rough bunch. They're very loyal, and they just I'm sure they just secretly don't mind that he's gone. No, I'm just kidding. They're probably still pretty. Peeped they're still off. That's, <laughs> they're pretty. Peeped they're, off. they're gonna they're gonna be bitter for a while. For forever. Yeah, I'd, for forever. Like, I wonder if he's ever gonna show his face in that building again after he retires. I hope he does, and yeah. I hope he like takes that with stride. Yeah, with all the booze that is. With, yeah, with all the booze, might need some booze to to counter the booze. Or maybe they'll throw him free booze. They could. And last but not least, we'll go with a little bit of pop culture here because that's become also a staple of this podcast. You and John Stank are the two main contributors in that category. We should have a battle royale. Yeah. Well, episode 90 was a battle royale. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a, a little bit. There were points where Stanko called me after sitting back and watching the, uh, the clash happening. I know. It was fun. Yeah. Speaking of the great John Stanko, who actually is coming up next, we are going to talk some Oscars and, st- and things, but... Star was born in this podcast. He came on, and after he made his big debut in Avengers, basically ran Schneider hand off off the uh, off his segment. He was so on the ball. I feel so bad for Will. <laughs> yeah, Will's been on more than anybody else. I think he's I think he's okay. With I know, it. I know, but like yeah. he could have had a shot at pop culture, and yeah. Stanko crushed him. Yeah, and Stanko. One of the things that's popular with him is he does movie reviews on here. Mm-hmm. On here, like he'll give me a review of what's coming on. And last summer. He gave me his take on the XM movie Dark Phoenix. Oh, I'm actually very excited to hear this clip. Yeah, this is John Stanko. Rehear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is John Stanko on the Dark Phoenix. 
Okay, let's go to another one that you are not a big fan of. The Dark Phoenix. Should I get the clip ready again? Yes. <laughs> Play it twice. Play it three times. It was that bad. Oh, God. And I am a fan of the X-Men, and it was that bad, Michael. It was horrendous. Dark Phoenix is by far the worst X-Men movie. Not even close. It's the, well, the worst movie I've seen yet this year, total, in all the movies I've seen from 2019. That, it's that bad. That's amazing. I mean, we've lived through X3. We lived, we lived through X-Men Origins Wolverine. So X-Men Origins Wolverine is the worst movie that I've seen. Uh, I've seen all the X-Men movies. It's my worst ranked one. I gave it a C-. Obviously, that says how much I'm a sucker for these X-Men movies and just the yeah. characters, that I genuinely like them and I have a bias toward them. I gave this movie a D, and that's me grading on that curve of just liking the characters. Yeah. This movie was dreadfully bad. I mean, even when he's, like, red, ripping something apart, he still puts a smile on your face. Because when, when he said the Dark Phoenix thing, he said something about, like, listening to what he had to say. So I had to go back, and yeah. I listened to the entire thing, and I was just laughing the entire time. I'm like, I knew he hated it. Yeah. But he really hated it. He went in on that movie. He's he not he pulling even punches. He called you your first name. He is the only one on this podcast who ever called me Michael. He was that upset. Yeah. He said he, he will call me Michael if he does not like something. I figured this out. <laughs> yeah. And then he commanded you to play the sad, <laughs> cruddy music. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the Pac-Man yeah, dying yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When Stanko tells you something, you do it. That's oh. what I find. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's from experience, but I'll leave that off air. Last but not least... We were talking about a beloved character of ours, Forky. Oh, good old Forky. Yes. and I just rewatched that uh, two days ago. Yeah, that movie holds up very well. Yeah. Yeah. And this actually came from the pop culture special when we were talking about Forky in Toy Story 4. And you play a prominent role in this clip. Oh, no. I hate the sound of my voice. Yeah, so this is us, the three of us, me, you, and John Stanko discussing Forky in the movie. The trash was the funniest sequence. Yeah. Probably oh the, pure, the most pure out, laugh out loud sequence of the movie. Yeah, was no, trash. When I I went to see in the I love seeing movies and drive-ins. It really like I don't know. It just changes the whole game. Um, also, you can like relax and look, like I don't know. I don't have a movie theater where it reclines like the seats. Um, but literally, like when he said like I'm trash, I'm like I relate to you so much. Like and so does every <laughs> like twenty something year old person. Like everyone feels like trash, and like that's why. People our age should still watch it. It's for characters like Forky. I would, I 100% agree. You shut Stanko up on that one. I'm still trash, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, he was, I've never heard him laugh like that hard on, on a podcast. I know because you, because we are all trash. Yeah. That is why <laughs> it still holds, it still holds true. A cup, you know, I guess it was just two months ago. Yeah. And by the way, Forky asked a question on uh, Disney Plus the greatest idea they've had. Like, I don't know. I love those things. Uh, I like they're okay. I just I don't know. I just like have to like limit myself to Forky. Yeah. Because well, then I feel like he's just overly Forky. Yeah, it's only three minutes at a time. I mean, those are fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They picked a, a very good time for that one. Yeah, it's, it's like the span of my attention, sp- like the the length of my attention span. Yeah, they get they get you in, they will get you out. You're good. Exactly. Yeah. Like one quick thought about it. Yep. <laughs> All right, there we have it. That's the highlights of 100. If you disagree... Ooh, 100. 100. <laughs> if you disagree, please please at me. Let me know what you think should be on the list. Sam, thanks for coming in and doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Before I let you go, how do you follow you on social media? Twitter at S-D-E-R-O-S-5. And you got it right this time. I did. I'm getting more comfortable with my own Twitter handle. <laughs> it's because I never promote myself. 
Yeah, I promote myself every week. It doesn't always work as well, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm sure you do great. Yeah, I'm sure I'm working on that. <laughs> but up next, our final segment of the show. Just enjoy the show. The great John Stanko is coming in the studio right after this. All right, we are back here on the 100th episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast. We're going to wrap up a little pop culture fun and bring in the most popular guest in the history of this program, the great John Stanko. John, welcome. How are you? That's very high praise. I appreciate that. Happy to be here. Hey, I do not lie. I get the most requests ever of when is John Stanko coming back on the podcast? Well, I'm here for episode 100, and I'm very excited about it and excited to talk about the Oscars. Yeah, and the person who was back on back-to-back episodes, we, had, we kind of snuck you in there at the end of 99 that people know it. Mm, we did. We did. We'll leave that one. That one's a nice, nice little surprise for people. Yeah, and that's, that was a nice little surprise. And the first time we actually got you talking sports on the sports podcast. Listen, movies <laughs> may be my like, number one personal passion, but I work in the realm of sports, so I have some takes in that as well. Yeah, those are fun takes, but we'll, we'll talk some movies this week. So we'll get the people what they want. We'll get them some movie talk. All right, what do you got for me, Mike? What are we talking about today? I'm excited. Yeah, we are ex- we're excited, too, because it's been about two weeks since the Oscars app came out. So mm-hmm. give me your overall takeaway from the Oscars. Overall takeaway from the Oscars, Mike, was good results. Uh, overall, not upset about anything. Maybe I would have per- changed some personal things, if you will, but nothing was like so egregious where I was screaming at the screen in anger. So very good results, some very happy results for me personally. The show as a whole, Mike, weird. Like, I don't know when the when music was decided to become such a big part of it. We had Eminem showing up randomly. Yeah, that was random. There was musical motifs thrown in throughout the opening without a host with some musical number. Um, just very music heavy, so it was weird. Um, a lot of the speeches weren't that great, if you if I'm being honest. Um, but overall, it was good. I would probably give it like a C plus B minus because a lot of there was there was there were some surprise award winners that made me personally very happy and I think are a good thing foreshadowing what the Oscars could be in the years moving forward. Yes, indeed. And I, I it's always bothered me the last few years like I don't know if it works without the host. I feel like the host is sort of needed to keep the whole thing narrative. Like you said, there were sort of points where it's like does this make sense to me? Like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be dropping music in. Sort of like there's a lack of overall flow in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I, I just don't – They oh, the first people they had up on stage were Steve Martin and Chris Rock doing jokes, which yeah. they're good at. Now, not all the jokes landed, which is fine. That's part of the writer's fault, and not every single joke is going to land. But why would you bring out two of the funniest people in the world and then just have them be out there for only three to five minutes and then take them away? Um, I think last year the Oscars had no host and it was kind of a revolutionary thing and it was like, oh, this is kind of exciting, kind of flowed a little better. This year, I think it could have used it a little bit because it felt a little, little bit more all over the place. There was no natural cut line that kind of was the motif throughout the whole entire show. Yeah, the analogy I'll make this one is a little nerdy. I'll give you this one, but it's sort of like, I know, you know the reality show Survivor. I do. Yeah, I think a couple, I think maybe like five or so years ago, they had a season where they brought back like 10 of their former players with like, Loved ones where it was like spouses, girlfriends, everybody's like, oh, this is going to suck. It was not bad. And they're like, great, let's do it again. So they did one another about a year later with new players. It's like, yeah, this did not work as well. Yeah, the novelty wears off a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, but again, I think hosting the Oscars is a lose lose proposition for anyone who decides to do it because you're, 
I mean, old you, takes exposed. Old takes exposed, which I think now is overblown. Everyone has bad takes on social media. It happens. Like people live lives and they learn from the mistakes. But also, it's like it's so hard for you to knock it out of the park hosting. Everyone's gonna nitpick every little thing that you do. Like, even Ricky Gervais, who hosted the Golden Globes this year, I thought was good. He was funny, and he tore into Hollywood, but still, people nitpicked him and picked about the crowd reactions to his bad jokes and stuff like that. It's a lose-lose situation, and not many people are comfortable with that idea. Yeah, it's not a great thing, and if we were to go down the, the John Stanko Twitter, how many bad, how many bad things would we have to expose? I mean, you'd have to go, uh, to be fair, the credits to myself, uh, start of college, I really cleaned up my act. So I don't think there are any major curse words on any of my, especially Twitter, since the start of college. Yeah. Uh, before that, I mean, my old Facebook posts, I can only go back and clean so much. So high school Jonathan Stanko, there are definitely some cringeworthy moments out there. Yeah, but for college on John Stanko. Woohoo! Yeah, I think I'll be good. <laughs> I think I've been pretty good. Yeah. Let me throw in a couple slight curse words here and there, but I mean... Everything on my social media I do own is the fact that I I found it enjoyable or it's my own opinion. Yeah, I think I did a Twitter scrub, I think, like maybe a year and a half ago when I had a class with a, a friend of the podcast, Rick Cerrone. And he was like, yeah, you have to go. This is right after the Josh Hayer tweets came out. Like, about Like, yeah, go through your Twitter. I think I delete like three tweets. And basically, like they were all angry Nick tweets, if I believe it or not. Yeah, I, that's the thing. It's. I don't tend to criticize my sports teams very much. There are, are a few times. Well, they I, win. To be fair, you know what? <laughs> the Red Sox in the past month, there have been some hateful tweets I've retweeted because I am furious with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Um, but it, it's hard to critique a sports athlete when they're doing something that you literally cannot do physically. Like, how'd you miss that layup? Bro, I miss a layup, me personally, and pick up basketball all the time. Yeah. So it's hard to, hard to critique them in that way. Yeah, it's, yeah, I feel like most of the coaches getting criticized. Like, oh, like, you took the pitcher out too early, and the guy is relieving him a home run. Or, like, why'd you call that play? It got picked off. It's like, it was very results-oriented. Yeah, it is results-oriented, but the, there's a reason that they're in that position. Yeah. And guess what? I'm here talking into a microphone, and those coaches are out there on the sidelines or in the dugout. So That's what they get paid the big bucks for. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we don't get paid the big bucks. No, it's hard to grade It's hard to grade them when you can only grade them against yourself, not against the other coaches, because you're just not in the industry. Yes, let's go back to the movie industry for a minute here. I mean, Smooth segue. Yes, I have gotten better at this over 100 episodes. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about, like, I, I followed your Twitter during the Oscars. I was, like, working, so I had, couldn't watch it live. But, like, you were very entertaining, very informative, and... When Parasite won those won the best director and the best picture, your mind exploded. I went ballistic. I woke my parents up. I was at my parents' house for the show, and I went absolutely crazy. I was so happy. Um, and I think what was honestly most exciting and most cheery for me with the result is not only did the best picture win, but also that the people in attendance in the actual arena, in in the actual ballroom, if you will, they were excited for the result. Yeah. They didn't want the microphone to go down on the final award speech. They literally, Tom Hanks and everyone was cheering for them to raise it back up and let yeah. them continue speaking. Yeah. So it's like people were excited to see Parasite when they were excited for Bong Joon-ho. And to see a foreign film win, foreign film win like this, and I, I think Bong Joon-ho put it best in one of his award speeches he gave it, previously in the award year was once you get over that one inch fear of subtitles there are so many great movies out there and that's 100 percent true and i think this is the start of a trend where we're seeing more original filmmakers and maybe the oscars breaking away from their classic drama wartime loving of giving the best picture to a movie like that and this is a truly original idea was a truly fantastic movie and so so happy for it and the personality of bong joon ho shone throughout the entire night 
Yeah, and that that movie has gotten such a huge tick in the theaters after after it won. I mean, I've, I've seen reports people's like, oh, I saw the first time there's five people in the theater, now it's full. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I have I've had friends who'd be like, Stanko, should I see Parasite? And the answer is always yes. I've been pushing it since I saw the movie when it was first in theaters. Like, everyone needs to see this movie because they they ask you, like, people ask me, what's it about? And I'm like. Dude, I honestly can't tell you. Like, I'll ruin the movie for you. It's yeah. it's so many different things, and basically, it's a social satire that mixes in thriller, horror, comedy, and drama all into one, and you just never know what to expect. And like, I watched it with somebody. Who she doesn't even like that movie. She doesn't even like movies very much, and she doesn't even. She's never seen a foreign movie, and she's like, "That was one of the best movies I've ever seen." Yeah. It's really it's crossing all barriers in that way, and I, it's so powerful in that way. Everyone should see Parasite because it's literally once in a lifetime type of movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely more open to, like, the subtitle thing than most people because I feel like the Lost fans especially are used to that because, like, you have the two main character, two of the main characters who, like, spoke Korean. Then when they did their flashbacks, they would actually talk in Korean on the screen. It would subtitle it. So, like, I've gotten exposed to that subliminally that way, which I think to me makes it more open. But for, like, your Joe Casual who, like, is used to big budget action movies, that's, like, that's asking them to do a whole other activity in terms of, like, you know, I just have to pay attention to the screen actually see what's being said because I can't understand it just by listening. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, like, I put subtitles on everything now. Yeah. I literally, on everything. That started with probably season two or three of Game of Thrones when it yeah. was first started. Like, I need subtitles to remember these names. And now I put subtitles on literally everything that I watch. Just in case I miss a little bit of brief dialogue or something like that. It's not always a thing I'm watching, per se, but it's just, it's there in case you need a pickup of, like, oh, a little bit of dialogue there that I missed. Yeah, so, next to what I want to get to, thoughts on uh, the best actor going to Joaquin Phoenix for Joker? You know what? It it was as expected, right? And he cleared up every single award uh, throughout, throughout the entire award season. And his performance in the movie Joker was very memorable. Um, again, I thought the movie was good. I didn't think the movie was great. Um, my take on this is that I'm going to kind of steal a bit from Bill Simmons here. He has the five-year rule about which performance or movie are you going to remember five years from now, which is like the post-Oscar award winner. And I really think in five years, we're going to look back on Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Adam Driver in Marriage Story and be like, those two might have been better. Though with that being said, Joker is still very good. Again, I'm not upset about him winning. I actually picked him to win in my personal awards because what he did with his body contorting really just stuck with me in that whole entire movie. But especially for like Leonardo DiCaprio and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think in five years, a lot of people, including myself, maybe revisiting our pick for this 2020 Oscars. Part of me also wondered if like there's sort of like a sort of an, like our desire to crown like the new great Joker because everybody remembers the Heath Ledger Joker and that's one you said that definitely fits like five years later you remember that performance after the Oscars. Like, I wonder if there was a big rush sort of like say oh like Joaquin Phoenix did a great job with it. Let's give like and he played a complex character. Let's give it to him. I do think that there's something to the fact that the Joker is a comic book based story and to have a major actor in a major motion picture win an award for that is saying something about how maybe the industry is evolving to allowing those type of characters in more of the mainstream. Um, I do think there's something to that. I also think there's something to the fact that Joaquin Phoenix has a great career and he hadn't won one yet. Now this was his crowning moment, crowning achievement for doing so. Um, like Leonardo DiCaprio had a few years ago with The Revenant. So there's a, there's all little bit of things that add up, but not it's not upset that he won. He probably he deserves to win because he was very very good in the role. the The three best the three best performances this year were Phoenix, Driver, uh, and DiCaprio. So it's tough. Um, though again, mo- like most of the acting categories in the entire Oscars, it was very very predictable who was going to win. Yeah, it was predictable for sure. And I want to talk. Did you did you hear a speech? I did hear a speech. 
what happened? Like, the first half of his speech was, like, coherent. The second half was, like, are we shaming putting milk in coffee and, like, actually, like, enjoying – like, what? What is happening? I don't understand it. Yeah, this uh, is – He went it, off the racks. Yeah, this is literally was a perfect example of a good old – What the hell's going on out here? Yeah. It's one of those moments. It, it just went too long, and he lo- I think he lost his main point. And same with Renelle Zegweger yeah. in her speech for Best Actress from Judy – uh, she just kept on going and going, and it was like, all right, you need to start playing the music. Um, yeah, get them off the stage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, honestly, Brad Pitt, who was the first major award winner of the night, he had the best speech of the night. It was short, succinct, to the point, beautiful, and done. Yeah, nice little mic drop moment going on on top. Yeah, like, it was fine. He was literally the first actor to win an award for best supporting actor, and he probably had the best speech of the night for me. Yeah. Yeah, speak, go back to Joaquin for a second, like, I don't know how you feel about this, but, like, I remember back in, I think, like, 05, 06 Oscars, like, I remember I was upset when he did not win for Walk the Line. I thought he was great as Johnny Cash in that movie. I'm going to be honest with you. I have not seen Walk the Line. Really? I have not seen it. I'm surprised. All the movies, you've seen over 1,000 movies. I have seen, not I've seen one. over 2,000 movies, but I have not seen Walk the Line. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I mean, uh, Reese Witherspoon won an Oscar for that movie for her role as June Carter. Like, Joaquin Phoenix is great as Johnny Cash. Like, that movie, I, I actually own that movie. Like, do you really? Okay. Like, and that's that's why I'm, I do not think you would have picked me as having owned is, is Walk the Line. No, it's more of definitely musical drama. It's not your cup of tea, I would say. But, I mean, listen, he's an absolutely unbelievable actor. There's yeah. no doubt about that whatsoever. So, he, he deserves all the attention that he gets. Um, maybe many, many people said he should have won for The Master was the, yeah. was the movie that he should have won for. Um, but, listen. Joker is a very good movie. It was a very good performance. He deserved to win it. Um, it was probably his time. We'll see if he has another role like this in the future. Yes. Also, shout out. I'm sure our friend Sandra who was just on the last segment doing the clip show. I'm sure she was thrilled about the Joaquin Phoenix Joker win. Yeah. I mean, she loved the movie. She yeah. loved it more than I did for sure. Yeah. That that was a fun debate during our pop culture special. Listen, she was shocked. I didn't love it. And <laughs> I was just like, it was good. It wasn't great. I think yeah. there's a difference. It's a great performance in a good movie. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's go to another great movie that didn't really take home much, 1917, which you had not seen the last time we talked. Give me your take on that. 1917 is the best visual movie of the year. Um, It literally gave me goosebumps. I saw it twice in theaters. It literally gave me goosebumps each time I saw it when certain scenes popped up. Um, Roger Deakins was the biggest lock of lock just to win Best Cinematography. It was not even close in that race. Well deserved. Well deserved. Um, his second Oscar, the movie there. I, I, you haven't seen it yet, I don't believe. I have. I have not. It's on the list. There is a sequence where he's in an abandoned town with the sun rising and fires burning and flares going off, and it's literally like, in the context of the movie, it's the character is going through hell, not only personally but also. In the when and when he's running through that town, it looks like hell. It looks like there are burning crosses literally everywhere that Roger Deakins put into the frame to show the the, the hell that he's going through and escaping the terror that's chasing him, both figuratively and literally. Uh, unbelievable cinematography. Still have goosebumps. There are three or four moments where I literally got goosebumps watching the entire thing. Best visually looking movie. The story did leave, did leave a little bit too desired. I think it's a very fair point that on the second time watching it, when you're not as captivated by the visuals because it's not the first time seeing it, you're, you kind of can pick apart the storylines a little bit differently going, eh, that's a little bit of a shortcut or something like that. But still, unbelievable movie. Probably my top three movies of the year in terms of enjoyability. So, all credit deserved to, to 1917. Still won, still won three Oscars. Didn't win as much as we thought, much as I thought it was going to, but still very, very well received. Better war movie, 1917 or Dunkirk? 
That's a great, great, great question. Ooh. Ah, okay. You know what? I'm probably going to say Dunkirk. Yeah. Because the story's tighter. The story is tighter. And while the visual aspects of 1917 are better, it's not like the visual aspects of Dunkirk are bad. Yeah. So I think the story of Dunkirk puts it together and no one playing with the three different timelines and weaving that story together notches it just slightly half a tick above 1917. And, and as far as the visual of 1917, it's also made four years later. So like the technology's advanced since, 19, yes. since Dunkirk was yes. made. So that's but, the point of favor. Yeah, it's like it's that type of one-shot movie, if yeah. you will. And there are only 34 cuts in the movie. Yeah. So it... Watching it, if you have any appreciation for how movies are made, you're literally just going, "How how is this happening? How yeah. we, how are you doing this right now?" Yeah. There's that sense of awe in watching what's happening on the silver screen. Yeah, I, in ter- in ter- I love that stuff. In terms of like TV too, I mean, like I like Mr. Robots. It's great stuff. Was experimental like that. Like they did an episode where basically the entire episode was shot in one continuous take, no cutting whatsoever. Yeah. Like, and that's to me, I'm like, how the hell did you do that? That's <laughs> That's where it's like. That's where I was most shocked yeah. that Sam Mendes uh, didn't win Best Director yeah. because to be able to storyboard all that out, plan all that out, and to be able to direct a movie like that where you're taking such minimal cuts yeah. is insane to me. Uh, but again, still very happy Bong Joon Ho won because the best movie won and Parasite knocked it out of the park. But I was shocked that Mendes actually didn't win. Yeah, let's go to another movie that ties the sports a little bit and because it has the sport figures in it. Including one very popular for, former radio like superstar in this city, the probably the biggest snub in the Oscars from most people's minds, Uncut Gems. Uh, yeah, I loved Uncut Gems. Yeah. I have a story about Uncut Gems. Mike. Sure, allow me to share it with you. Go ahead. I went to the Alamo Draft House to watch this movie by myself. Your favorite place? I love that place. It's amazing. So I'm going. It's a very tiny theater. There are literally ten seats in this theater, I believe. Or uh, no, two rows of eight, so sixteen seats. So I go in my seat. I'm the only one there to start. Coming to my left uh, and passing by me in the seats are two young, lovely ladies on, like, a little girl date just hanging out. Obviously, just watching the movie. Yeah, just watching a movie. And the fact that there are two females near my age who are willing to just go see Uncut Gems with each other and, like, watch this independent movie about sports gambling. I was like, I want to be your friends. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to date you. I just want to be your friend. What's your name? It's like, we need to talk and yeah, hang just, out. I just want to, like, hang out with you. It's fine. You're coming to see this movie on, like, a girl's night out? Awesome. Yeah. Very excited. Two minutes later, a group of four older women, probably in their 40s, come in, loud, talking, obnoxious, with flashlights on trying to find their seats. Not a good start, right? They don't obey the rules of the Alamo Draft House because they're talking during the, like, the previews are going, they're still talking. Then they're talking during the first five minutes of the movie, and I have to lean over and go, excuse me, the movie started, please be quiet. And then they were eventually quiet with some murmuring of disapproval of me telling them to be quiet. Anyways, so they're watching they're, – I see them watching the movie, and they're, like, confused. I literally see them going, like, what's going on? They have no idea what's going on. And at the end of the movie, I go – literally out loud going, that was awesome. The girls next to me go, that was really good. I wasn't expecting that. The women to the left of me, the two directly to the left of me going, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. I'm never going to get those two hours back. Now I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, don't let me grow up to be like them. Yeah, also another one of those. What the hell's going on out here? It was just – it's really, it's just they had no idea what they were getting into. They didn't, like, they think they saw Adam Sandler and just thought, oh, it's going to be a comedy or something. Like, they literally, before the movie, they said, I don't know what this movie's about, really. And yeah. it's like, I there's part of it where you don't want to spoil what a movie's about, but you need to have some, some sense of an idea, and they had nothing. Yeah. So it stunk for them. But for me personally, 
Uncut Gems was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it is a two-hour adrenaline rush. The Safdie brothers, they just throw you into the fire. Um, Adam Sandler is incredibly good uh, as Howard Ratner. Um, so the movie was excellent. I would have had it in three different uh, Oscar categories from the movies I've seen this year. Um, I would have had it for Best Picture. It would have been, my, would have been among my best ten. Adam Sandler would have been in my top five actors, and it would have been in sound mixing for me because the claustrophobia they have when they're every, – any, every single room in this movie is crowded, and there's chatter, and there's different noises going in your ears, and you never have a sense of easiness. It's like you're always pushed together like you're in the streets in New York, and that's exactly what the Safety brothers, brothers were going for, and it's incredible in that way. Um, though, I mean, you haven't seen it yet. Strongly recommend you seeing it because you'll really, really love it as a sports person because the movie taxing the gambling, the NBA sports, and all that, and all like the idea of fandom and going overboard. Yeah. Also, you have to see the breakout star Julia Fox. Yeah. She is incredible. Uh, first time acting in any sort of movie. She plays the muse of Howard. She plays like the girlfriend, if you will, and she just blows you away. She's the biggest shining light on the screen. No idea who she was. Immediately Googled her when I got home. So this movie, all around fantastic. I gave it an A minus. One of the best movies of 2019, without a doubt. It's also on the list. It's on the Netflix queue, which might mean I got through about three years based on the rate I go through Netflix movies. But, yep. But two two people I'll ask you about in that, in that movie. Yep. How was Kevin Garnett? He was good. Yeah. He was very very good. Uh, it's funny how many people they had in the idea of that role. They had Amari Stoudemire. Um, they tossed around Joel Embiid was yeah. actually the most modern person they had. But Kevin Garnett. His intensity on the court definitely lent itself a bit to uh, the, his role on screen, the way he's the way he's staring at the ruble and staring at the stone and gets yeah. gets entranced by it. But he was very very good, yeah. and I think what the Safety Brothers really did when Kevin Garnett was on the screen, I really think that they let the script kind of go more ad lib. I think the act, I think they let the actors talk a little bit more, and that Kevin Garnett kind of feed off of them rather than him remembering lines because every line he said sounded very Kevin Garnettish, and it sounded very very like it wasn't scripted at all. Yeah. So I think that the Safety Brothers and the writers did a really good job of making him comfortable and letting him shine in that way. Yeah, that's one I wanted to ask you about. The other one, Mike Francesa, his two scenes. I mean. He, <laughs> It's so funny. They got him for one day at the same restaurant. They saw it in two different spots of the restaurant, and it's just Mike Francesa. It's just him being him. Yeah, that's the dumbest bet I've ever heard. <laughs> and then I'm saying this because I disagree. And it's a, it. He was fine. It was just it was definitely the shock value of just having him in there. But I mean, it's Mike Francesa. He does his role well. Yeah, I say it's just the way he talked about. It, he made it sound like he's like, oh, you know, I was there for like eight, eight, like ten hours doing two scenes. Like, yeah, well, that's that's what that's what making a movie is, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't know if he knew that, but I, he probably didn't. No, but in, he was literally in there for two scenes. But you remember those two scenes, and yeah, yeah. So he's like, cause he's like, I remember his voice, like, yeah, both those, both my scenes made the trailer. Yeah, no, and they it did that. They did make the trailer, and yeah. he was good. I mean, it's so funny. Like uh, the Safety Brothers are fans of New York. Adam Sandler is a fan of sports and, and basketball, and so like for, I think them meeting Francesca was just really exciting for them and getting to work with him in that way. Yeah, for sure. And we can also tell you. And you said I talked to you off air. You said. You haven't been to as many movies lately. You said you've seen some other interesting stuff. Like, what has caught your eye of late? Let's see. I'm watching The Outsider on HBO, which is good. It was very good to start, but I'll admit the last two episodes have slowed down. So I need to pick me up come season eight, The Outsider. Um, finally saw Stranger Things season three, Michael. Oh, you got to it. I have not told you this. Uh, Saturday, uh, this past Saturday, the day of recording, um, I was just sitting in my bed, ton of work to do. So I literally was like, all right, I'm just going to start Stranger Things in the morning, just watch it all day until I finish. Yeah. Uh, and it was good. It was much better than I thought. 
Uh, Robin stole the show for me. She was awesome the entire season. She's great. She's awesome. Robin and Steve had the best chemistry of anyone on that show. Um, and they played off her her being a lesbian incredibly well. Uh, it wasn't over the top or anything like that. It was just really, really good. And I was like, oh, that's a great little twist. Didn't see it coming, and I love every single second of it. I, I love Steve's acceptance. I was very easy. Like, yes. Oh, that's, oh, that's, he, cool. like, that's, that's cool. Yeah, and he played it off, and he immediately went back into the friend zone thing and just cracking a joke, and it was excellent. So Stranger Things Season 3, I enjoyed it very much. Um, I rewatched Parasite recently, which was awesome. Um, and then the la- I'll give you the last five to- the last five above average movies I've seen in the past week. I watched Aladdin. Oh, which you, was good. You what? You did get the live action. Aladdin. I did. I, I did. I, I gave I, it a B plus. It I, was good. I, I told you. I, I, I've been high on that movie. I know. Naomi Scott was really good. Will Smith was very good as the genie. Um, and the movie was good. I gave it a B plus. The only problem was Jafar. Uh, yeah, Jafar wasn't very great. But again, I don't know if that's the actor's fault or if it's the way they wrote the character. I, I, think, I think it's more the writing. Yes, I, that's what I got out of it. Is I didn't have a lot to work with. Yeah, so that because like, they, they tried to make it more like Martu, cartoon, like cartoon mustache twirly. Yes. Uh, so I didn't. I didn't necessarily like him as much, but the movie was good, much better than I thought. I watched Body Heat, which was a 1981 kind of noir thriller, uh, which was good. I watched The King on Netflix with Timothy Chalamet and Edward Patterson, which was good. I watched a horror movie, The Lodge, uh, at the Alamo Drafthouse, which was excellent, incredibly scary uh, in a psychological way. Literally, when when The Lodge ended and the credits were rolling, nobody talked for like three minutes. Silence. The entire movie theater was like, whoa. Yeah. Like, it's heavy. Yeah. It weighs you down like an anchor. Uh, and then the fifth one I saw recently was a documentary on Netflix called Film Worker, which follows a very, very dedicated person in the movie industry who followed Stanley Kubrick for his entire career and basically wrote his coattails. Not wrote his coattails, but was his kind of— He's like, like riding in his wake, basically. But, like, yeah, did everything for him. Yeah. Worked 19 hours a day to make sure Stanley Kubrick had every film movie he wanted. Yeah. Uh, so it was just a very good movie documentary if you like— Watching movies about the movie industry, if you will. Yeah, that's that's fun. The Aladdin thing, I'll point out. I will. I will say. Do you agree with my take now that the live action like trio this year was of, from nine from nineteen of Disney was the best? Um. Well, they was, have put out three this year. They never not, put out more than two in a year, did well, they? Well, last year was Dumbo, Lion King, and that. Yeah, I haven't seen Dumbo because I just have no desire to yeah. see Dumbo. <laughs> but I think I still think my take. I'll take of it being better than Lion King stands. Uh, I, I, yes, I would say Aladdin is a better movie than The Lion King. Yes, yes. I would say that. All right, so just for just for fun, Woo-hoo! got that in on you guys. There you go. You're right. You were right about <laughs> I, that one. I will die on that sword. Yes, and, and I will throw an HBO doc out to you that I, I think I'm curious to see if you would be interested in this. Are you heard of the documentary McMillions? Yes, I'm actually watching that. Oh my god, I didn't put that on my list. Yeah, the yeah, Mc, I, uh, McDonald's I, fraud thing. Yeah, because I, I was a big. Like I, I used to be a big, big McDonald's Monopoly guy back in the day, and then I heard this. I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> it's bonkers. Yeah, I think it really helps that they have some characters that they interviewed for the yeah. documentary. Yeah. Some of the FBI agents are just they're straight out of like a sitcom. It, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, like I'm I'm living and dying with this one. I love this one. Yeah, uh, it's two episodes, right? Uh, yeah, at the point of recording, two, two episodes, episodes. Two episodes at the point of recording. So yeah, there's still another four, and yeah. I'm excited to see where, where who else they find along the way here. Yeah, it, it is really good, actually. Yeah. I didn't include it on my list, but I have seen that. It is very, very good. Yeah, I've been watching that. I've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. The current season's been just bonkers off the wall funny with some stuff. I mean, they have, they basically they do have three storylines going on right now, which is basically Larry David gets me tooed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Larry David opens a spike coffee shop to take down another coffee shop owner. I kind of like that. And the third one is Larry attempting to get back his ex-wife. So those three things have been 
I've been gesticulating through the whole season. We, at time of recording, there have been five episodes that have aired. I did the premiere with Martino Puccio. Like, we were both in agreement. Episode five has been the best since the premiere. All right. Well, there you go. That's it, pretty good. It's been pretty good. I haven't. I've never seen the show. Um, I know that is terrible. Like, if you if you have have you seen Seinfeld? That'd be my question first. I have seen Seinfeld. Not every episode, but I used to watch it when you, I was like. On if reruns. you like Seinfeld, you should go on to Curb. I probably it's probably gonna be one of those. It's things. like the it's like the raunchier version of Seinfeld. I'm probably gonna eventually like watch it years from now when it's all out and just binge it over a summer break. That's yeah, probably what's gonna happen. Yeah, because it it does hold up pretty well on the binge. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing. <laughs> and like, what other movies are you looking forward to in the coming months? Uh, I'll start off with the TV show first. Actually, I'll give okay, you a TV sure. show first. Amazon Prime uh, Hunter, starring Al Pacino. Yeah. Um, they got Al Pacino on an Amazon Prime show. They do. It's his first television show, and it's about a group of Nazi killers. So count me in with Al Pacino acting crazy and a bunch of goofy Nazi killers in a very – I think it's going to be a lot like um, – oh, my God. What's the other Amazon show with the superheroes? And I'm blanking on his name. Oh, this is going to be really bad. I'm going to remember it at a later segment and date, but I'm going to look it up. Um, yeah, yeah when, we come, when we come back on here in a couple of months, you'll, you'll just shout out what the title was. I'm, this is going to bother me. Yeah. Is it The Good Boys on Amazon Prime? I don't know. I know the Netflix was The Umbrella Academy. That's not it. Is it – Nope. Ah, all right. I'm going to remember it eventually. I'm going to look it up, so it'll be fine. But anyways, I'm looking forward to Hunters on Amazon Prime. Um, and then movies, I do want to see Birds of Prey, even though I had a lackluster uh, financial opening weekend, but it still got pretty decent reviews. I mean, did you like the fact they had to rename the movie to try and get it to No, somewhere? I don't like that, but I understand why they did it, because it made so much less money than they thought. Yeah. Like, absurdly less money. Um, I do want to see The Hunt, which is a new movie coming out, which is supposed to come out last year, but they postponed it due to due to the political climate and now it's coming out in march yeah um uh the way back ben affleck's basketball movie i'm a sucker for a dramatic sports movie so i'll go see that a quiet place part two because i love the first one and the last one coming out in march i'm really excited for is a new a24 adventure called saint Maud. yeah uh those are the five i'm most looking forward to yeah obviously down the line tenet Oh well, yeah, I, I now, only I, I, for like next couple of weeks. Yeah, so. I literally only went through March because yeah. I could list off twenty things that yeah. if I wanted to. But I'd say for me, Tenet is is at top of the list with a bullet number one for with me. With a bullet number one. Yeah. I mean, I'm very very excited for it, and the trailer that came out for it was very good. It's called The Boys. The yeah. Amazon Prime show is called The Boys. So he got it. The Boys. It was the Hunters has the same vibe as The Boys, and I love The Boys. Yeah. So that's why I'm excited for it. All right, I finally got it. Yeah, and you said Al Pacino got it. It kind of reminded me like when Anthony Hop- we heard that Anthony Hopkins was doing Westworld. Like, oh, wow, we got Anthony Hopkins exactly. on TV. Exactly. Yeah, so it's just like you get that shock value a little bit. You had me intrigued. So definitely going to give Hunters a shot. I think it comes out uh, last week of February. So yeah. February 21st, I think, is when it comes out. Speaking of Westworld, you interested in season three. It's coming soon. I am interested in season three, but I'm very, very tepid. I'm very tepid on it. Uh, I think I really think if I don't like the first couple episodes, I'm, going to, I'm not out, but I'm not going to watch it weekly. Like I'll like maybe let like some build up and then watch it if I'm like again home working on a Saturday, yeah, you and might, I'll just throw it on. Yeah, you might like let like three build up in a row. So exactly. like, I'll just watch three in a row and see what happens. It used to be a sit down and watch it on Sunday night or early mo- or early Monday to make sure I'm like up to date. Yeah. But if the first two episodes aren't good, I'm gonna take the more deliberate approach. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it. I will stick. I'll 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 ride it out. I'm gonna see what happens with them because I believe in uh, in uh, in uh, Nolan and Lisa Joy and on that and their showrunners. I think they know they got off the track a little bit in season two. I think they'll get back on. Right, track. they took yeah. the extra year off. 
yeah, uh, in yeah, between seasons. Yeah, so, they, they took a little more time to refocus the story, I think, so hopefully that will carry over. Yes, and there will be tons of Reddit deep dives and podcasts trying to explain everything that possibly happens in that show. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm scared of doing a watch a, a Westworld podcast because it's just too, it's too much. No, you're literally not going to be able to understand everything. It's impossible. Because, no, I mean, you, you have to walk into the Westworld a baseline understanding of before you make podcasts about it. Yeah, no, it's just you'd be reading other people's deep dive thoughts and Reddit thoughts, and that's a show it's really hard to come up with your own ideas about because you're always fishing you're for on, what's the idea that the showrunners are trying to put out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like watching where we just don't, we came on the ground floor. And we, were sort, we came in with everybody else, and we started picking up, things up as we went. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's very, very different. Yeah. And are you happy with the decision HBO made about Watchmen to have it be a one-and-done as long as Lindelof doesn't want to do it? Yes. A 100% happy with that decision because it could not have ended any better. Yeah. So happy. Nothing is going to take away from the excellence that was the Watchmen uh limited series on HBO. One of the best television series I've seen in years. It, it agreed. And now we'll hit the fun part of the podcast. Where I'm, like at the top of the show, I let Will Schneider hand turn the tables here and, and run the show for a little bit. I have seen the Sonic movie. You have not. So I'm going to give you the choice, to, chance to give you a little brief AMA about this movie. So I'm going to put the spoiler warning up first. We were recording this after the opening weekend, when surprisingly it led the box office. It did it beat over everything. seventy million dollars in box office. It just, I, and I saw the figure; I was floored. I'm like, "What?" Yeah. And like the thing we talked about this off air when I think we were I saw you on Friday when it came out. And I'm like, "This is actually in the '60s on Rotten Tomatoes." And I mm-hmm. I've been dunking on this movie in the podcast about like six months. And to be fair, I've been joining you on that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be good, but. Um, so I guess first your overall thoughts walking out of the movie theater. First of all, how crowded was the movie theater you went to? Like, was were there people actually there seeing it? And your thoughts immediately upon walking out the theater? Well, I went on the Sunday matinee. It was about half full. All right, that's not bad for Sunday matinee, I suppose. Yeah, Sunday matinee, twelve thirty in the afternoon on a pretty nice weather day. That's okay. for February. That's a solid crowd. It's a good mix of kids, and I walked in with very, very, very low expectations. I'm like, okay, like. I have hope it might be better because I'm a Sonic fan. Mm-hmm. I played all the games as a kid, and like, I walked out of there. I'm like, you know what? This was actually fun. I did enjoy this quite a bit. All right, well, that's pretty good. And so then the big, the best question is: This is a movie that kind of took. It was one of the first movies that took audience feedback to heart and made changes, yeah. like especially to the visual effects side of it. Did you notice those changes as the movie went along? Seeing like, oh, they definitely made the improvements here. Yes, because like these, these, the big problem they had was that the when the first trailer came out, like Sonic looked nothing like the cart, the video yeah. game version, and it was like just an abhorrent freak show. They did the right thing to go back in. I think it unintentionally helped them because it took them out of a very competitive November uh, movie slot. It stuck them in middle of February. There was nothing really going on, so they actually had a chance to spread their wings a little bit and, and uh, shine. Yeah. So speaking of spreading wings, this seems like a movie where. Uh, Jim Carrey can spread his arms and just kind of go full comedy, crazy voice, crazy acting sort of thing. Yeah. Did he take full advantage of that? Oh my God, yes! This he is went over the vi- top. Vintage Jim Carrey, even with the physical comedy coming back into the fold. Like there is one sequence where like he's like busy doing his like b- like bad guy plotting. He's basically hamming it up. He's doing full on like movements, dancing, all the crazy stuff. I'm like, this is the Jim Carrey I remember from like the, when I was a kid. Like the one. Ace Ventura type of days yeah. where just everything was over the top? Everything completely over the top. And it was just like so like perfect. I mean, he got better as the movie went on. All right, so that's, that is good. Yeah. And then so my last one for you is where does it rank amongst the recent video game kind of adaptation movies that have come out in the past couple of years? Well, the video game adaptation movie is a very low bar to clear, as you are that's well aware. very true. 
I put it ahead of Detective Pikachu. Really? Yes. Okay. Because like it Detective Pikachu's story was a bit weird at points. And this movie the story was good. Like they gave you like you did not need to be a Sonic fan to go into this and like it. Like they gave you plenty of Easter eggs if you're like a long time fan like I am. Like there's plenty of like visual like things that you don't need to know to enjoy the movie. They made they they did the scene like they did, they got his humor perfectly great. The pairing with him and uh, James Marsden as the main character was mm-hmm. actually great. There is one great sequence where they actually get into like a full out brawl in a dive bar. It's actually hysterical. Okay, and they actually do make good use of the you as an X Man guy. Yes, you remember the Quicksilver like slow mo. Yeah, the slow mo. Yeah, they do two of those with Sonic in the movie, and they work great. Okay. All right, that's, that intrigues me because that was arguably the best part of the uh, of the newest yeah. X Men movie franchise. Yeah, one of the yeah, say the guys like the yeah like in terms of this like one of the the sequence in the die bar is one of the slow mo sequences and it's like fantastic. It takes like solid two three minutes them like just causing mayhem while everybody else is in slow mo. Is the movie self aware of what it is? Yes. Okay, so it doesn't take itself too yeah, seriously. It's or like, something like yeah, that. yeah, it does take itself seriously. Like the Marvel toy. It's where the characters are kind of like, you know, like, what are we doing here? We're talking to an alien hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, okay. As long as the movie is self-aware, that automatically boosts up a little bit if it doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. Um, I've yeah. I've heard that Jim Carrey is very good in it. I've he's heard great. he's yeah. he's not, like, not like award-winning worthy good, but, like, just very, very entertaining for the part that he plays. Yes. Um, my only worry about it is story-related. How do you make a movie story out of the Sonic video games? That is the only thing. That's the only major concern I have left of it now. After everyone's saying it's decent, I'm just not sure I'm going to yeah. be able to buy into a storyline like that. Yeah, well, basically the premise is, like, basically he starts off, like, in this alien world. Like, he's like as a kid, he gets, like, sent to Earth, basically, for some reason. And then, like, he has to live in isolation on Earth. So, like, there's a lot of it's like, oh, like, I'm by myself. I'm sort of, like, not – he's, like, sort of his quest to, like, find, like, friendship and, like – yeah, find, accept, yeah. find acceptance in this world. That's why we get the odd, like the great, like odd pairing of like. There's a great bit for like a solid part of the movie because uh, James Marsden's character is a cop. Like he doesn't know his name for a little bit, so he just starts calling him Donut Lord for the first half of the movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. I I'm probably gonna eventually see it. I don't know if it's gonna be in theaters or on streaming. I, you get you can get away with the stream. You don't need to go see theaters. Don't need to go see it in theaters. But it's it's fun. It's it's that's the best. If it's fun, that's good. It's right? fun. That as long as it clears that bar, it's like okay, it's not like so abhorrently bad where it's not even fun anymore. Yeah. So that's actually very bringing an endorsement that it's just fun. You, the pa- the time will pass well, and you're not wasting time watching. Yeah, it. it's a it's a crisp ninety minutes. You get in and out, which is nice. That's good. It's not too long. Excellent. I and, love that. And it's like Sonic itself. It's like the one thing you need to go going is that he's fast, and they make good use of the speed throughout the movie. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to check it out. So I'm glad you were able to check it out this weekend. I know you're looking forward to it. Yeah, I I was like I've been dunking. I was like I had to get the opportunity to like win me over. You were looking forward to it. I was looking forward to ripping it to shreds. Exactly. Not <laughs> only because you're a fan of Sonic, but because you'd have something to talk about after the fact. But yeah. you're surprised that it's in a positive light. I was. I'm very shocked. It's a positive light. I was sitting there going like, okay, like I'm expecting this to be absolutely horrible. I've seen like enough bad movies in my lifetime. I mean, like, I did not expect to be giving Sonic a higher movie grade than than uh, the Rise of Skywalker. That you know what? That's very true. <laughs> if you predicted this out like at the beginning of 2019, going which movie's gonna have a higher rating at the end of the year, you never would have said that. No, like Star Wars make a billion jillion dollars, but Sonic's a better movie. Listen, Sonic got seventy million dollars opening weekend in the box office. I'm pretty sure that's higher than Birds of Prey got with Margot Robbie. It so also, that's a success. It also topped Detective Pikachu's by opening, so it is the highest rated. How video is game. Sonic this freaking popular? The movie's fun. 
It's, it, it's, hey, but it's, it's, the it's, movie- it's the first real kid movie of the year also because it hasn't really been anything since Star Wars. That's a good point. Because, that's a good point. Because, like, what are you taking your kids? You're not taking your kid to Birds of Prey. There's, like, all R-rated movies out. That's, that's a good point. I didn't necessarily make that connection, but that's a very good point. The first kind of kids movie of the year because Onward isn't out yet from Pixar. So no, it's, it's going it, to have that. It's going to have a little, little legs. There will definitely be a sequel if it keeps going at this rate. All right. Well, hopefully they can get the get the actors back on board. They, they, they should be back on board. They tease. They they had they had a mid credit scene like typical like every yeah, movie course. does now. Yeah, of course every movie does. It's a tease. Even Stranger Things did. Yeah, and Stranger Things season four, the season four they had a teaser just dropped two days ago. I did. I saw that's what actually prompted me to see season three. I knew about the spoiler already, so I wasn't like oh. <gasps> yeah. sort of thing. But yeah. I was like, I was yeah. like, all right, I should if I have a free day now, I'll just bang it out. Yeah. So here's the spoiler. Hopper did not die as we theorized. Shocking. Yeah. We predict, like, I predicted at the time with Pete when we talked about the season, like, yeah, he probably just hopped in the portal and ended up in yeah. Russia somehow. I'm going to be honest, I don't like it personally uh, because it takes away from the stakes. What made season three so good is that they actually added in some stakes. Like, people died, people got hurt, emotions got hurt. And I was like, oh my God, like, real things are happening to these kids now. And it's actually, like, having an impact. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they kind of brought him back undoes some of that for me. Not a huge fan. I don't think they can have season four take place in Hawkins. I think they have to move somewhere else. I think they are moving somewhere else. They did split the characters up. They said that Wob well, is going to be outside of Hawkins. Good. I think that's the proper decision to make. But I understand you cannot make the show without Hopper. Yeah. He was the main focal point of season three. He's an awesome character overall. Huge fan. I understand it's really tough to make the show without him. But with that being said, I'm still kind of upset he's coming back alive because it takes away from part of the impact that was season three, I, even though it was inevitable. Yeah, I mean, I, I theorized with Pete, too, when we talked about Stranger Things, who was here last, was actually here last week talking hockey, but, like, we talked about this at Pete. I said, you know what? Comic book rules. Nobody, they can bring him back. Exactly. It's 100% true. Yeah. That's 100% true. That's why Captain America's Civil, like, uh, Winter Soldier worked the best, because they actually broke comic rules. They showed you the dead body, and then they brought him back later. That's true. I mean, I... I still think that they need to have somebody die at the end of Stranger Things to to have some have like an impact. Like I, they would never do this. But if like they killed off like L at the one, end, one she like the kids. sacrifices yeah. herself, that'd be like oh, you would have fans revolting and crying out of anger. But it'd be a huge twist and a huge like gut punch. It ruins also my my big point about uh, Susie having a body count because that was my one of my big takeaways from the series. Like yeah, Susie is responsible for several murders because she's not she's only responsible for one murder. She's responsible for Billy's death. Billy's death. Remind me about that. Uh, Billy's possessed by the uh, mind flayer. By the, by the See, but is, that, but is that a death? Is that Susie's death, like, strictly? Well, because Susie waited to give Dustin the password because she was mad at him instead of giving it to him right away. That delay causes Hopper not to be able to push the button on time, getting knocked out by the Russian. So that sets the whole end of the thing up because it's the three-minute that they All turn right. the keys. All right. I get you. Okay. So I, Susie still has a body count. She still has a body count. Not as one. big as the one she had, but. No, no. All right, John. That was. I think. I, no, I think we need to wrap this up. <laughs> Thanks again for taking the time. To no, happy on, to. Happy to. On episode 100, I really appreciate it. And before I let you go, how do people follow you on social media? Get more of these awesome takes. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at jstanko99, or you could follow my blog at stankosstance.wordpress.com. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Mike. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank our guests. First up, Damon Amendolara from CBS Sports Radio. I also want to thank the unofficial co-host of this podcast, Will Schneiderhand, for taking the reins at the top of the show, hosting it, that opening tip, talking some football. I also want to thank our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose, for hopping by the studio today to take a look back at some of the more interesting moments from this podcast run. 
And I also want to thank, of course, the great John Stanko for spending 40 minutes talking about movies, pop culture, all that good stuff at the end of the show. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my take on what the locals did at the NHL trade deadline, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering there. You can find all roll episodes there. All 100 episodes are available on those platforms. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well, guys. We're 100 in. We'll make the next 100 even better with your help. I appreciate that. And subscribe, please. Very important. I'll get this into the ears of more people who could really enjoy this program. It's a lot of fun doing it. And I like hearing from people who listen to this. It's a lot of fun to get that little feedback. You can also follow me on Twitter. You can follow me at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag highlights of 100. Give me some of your favorite memories of the podcast if you have some. If you want to share it, that's awesome. I look forward to hearing them. Next week, we're actually going to start a little run of college basketball shows on this on this program. Because March Mass is coming up. It'll be the first podcast of March. I guess you're going to be speaking with Zach Braziller of the New York Post, great college basketball writer for them. We will have a conversation about the world of college basketball. There's going to be some more stuff coming up as well. But until then, enjoy the 100, everybody. And I'm looking forward to the next about 100. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.